Golas. If only you knew the way they pronounce these things, the various voice actors in this game. I don't know if you heard some of them in the videos. Is that is that Bill Nye that does a lot of the narration? Oh, I have no idea. Uh, the only ones the only ones I know him are the big name actors. P- Peter Dinklage. Well, Bill, you know Bill Nye. He's in everything. He's the long uh, gray hair guy. Uh, I think he's probably best known in America, maybe among non-nerds. I think he's in Love, actually. But he's in, like, he's one of those people that comes up on The Incomparable a lot, where, like, he's in Doctor Who. Uh, he is in, uh, he's just, he's in everything. But they, they got some pretty heavy hitters. I, God, I I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but I, I am so adrift. I'm so ready for you to explain this to me. We have uh, stuff to do before that. You put a bunch yeah. of things in here. Well, oh my God. It's like pushing a rope with you. Jesus. Yeah. Why? <laughs> you said you don't want to get ahead of yourself, so let's not get ahead of ourselves. Thank you. Um, <laughs> have you ever seen that Mr. Show pre-tape Colin show? I just sketch? watched it because you put it in the thing. Oh, wow. <laughs> You'll watch anything I put in there? Well, you know, short. I think I'd seen bits of it before, but it's, it's short. It's funny. It's, pre- it's pretty well done. It's pretty satisfying. Yeah, car talk worked that way, too, but the topic was always cars, so there was no real problem. I met somebody in about 1992 at arguably the height of my rap. I mean, I've, I've been a public radio fan for a long time, but that was really the height. Like, I was listening to public radio, like, almost literally all day. If I wasn't, you know, like, you know, playing at band practice or in the bathroom, I, I just always had NPR in particular on. And I met somebody who'd been on the show, and I learned the secret. Which, you know, now now everybody knows stuff like this, but I just assumed it was a call-in show. I figured... People call one eighty eight whatever you know and, and call into the show, but like it's no, that's not how it works. Well, when they when they're imploring you to call, you are if you did call, you were entering the process of potentially being on next week's show. Yeah, you were. Well, n- not no. That's the thing. It's even it's even wilder than that. It's like you know. I mean, like I remember when I first learned that Casey Kasem didn't actually sit there while you know uh, you let it my life was playing. That basically he just did the bits and then they put it together later. Like that's just standard for most big radio people. But no, it's even more uh, kind of object oriented than that. We're like, so you call. I think what happens is you call in if it's anything with anything like that. Whatever the show is, you call in and basically you leave a, a voicemail message, and you know, and I, I guess make your pitch. And they call through those on a periodic basis. If they're interested, they call, they pre-qualify you, they figure out if you're a dingling, they figure out if it's funny. But I mean, you know, the producers are doing all of that understandably but the the really interesting part is i'm pretty sure the entire show is except in special cases pretty much sliced up segment by segment that they would basically record many many segments that where there didn't have to be any yeah, continuity well, there's no there is no continuity in the, show. I'm saying, the topic is always cars from one call to the next there are not in jokes that link one call to the previous one so they're all uh, isolated there's no need for continuity within a given right. and episode. You, and you can you could tape 17 puzzle, puzzler segments and, you know, those don't have any connections. No, ex- exactly. Exactly. And I mean, that's, you know, look at the success, the, the wild runaway success of Robot or Not, you know. There's continuity on that show, though. Uh, I'm, I love that show. I did, did, Can you say, did you guys do that at one sitting? Uh, we don't want to reveal too many of our secrets. <laughs> We, we call each other five minutes uh, a week. You have, you have a, like a 30-second call That's right. <laughs> about self-driving we cars. We just jump right back into the conversation. It's like we never stop talking. 
Oh man, I you know you know how I crave your approval, um, and I get sure to some extent now. But I, uh, I I'm always I, I I have an opinion when I see the episode appear in Overcast. I've got my own reckon on it, and then I always I feel like really relieved or crestfallen based on how you decide. I was really glad you said yes on the Terminator. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll have the meta show after that show runs its course to talk about the show that was. I don't want to talk too much about it now. I feel like it will ruin it. No, absolutely. You don't want to crush the bunny. You uh, and the bunnies. You're always crushing those bunnies. Yeah. I know this is an, an old-time Merlin saying, but I think a lot of people are surprised to hear it who maybe had, are not as familiar with your work as I am. Right. They're not They're not as in uh, up on the canon. Right. But so is, is crush the bunny, is that, a, uh, is that a regional thing? Is that a Merlin thing? Is that a family thing? Where, where is that coming from? I think I, I want to say I heard it at work. At a, at a job that I had, oh, it's like a, it's like a take this offline. It's oh yeah oh yeah yeah yeah. I mean that's where I learned so much of the like, you know, just short of douche speak. Like you would not believe in 1999 being somebody who was just a you know, what they used to call a web designer. I mean, all I, if I want to do something with JavaScript, I, all I could do really was just change whatever the variables are. Like I couldn't. All I did was web design. I mean, it was all graphics and HTML. So hard for me to go into a place where people were using the word functionality because it just struck me. It's just such an ugly word. And I use it all the time now because it, it has become more accepted as a word, but it used to seem like such an ugly word. And it always flustered me that there has to be a better word for what you're trying. It's like when people say, uh, use experience as a, as a verb, like there's almost always a better word. Well, than you should experience. really uh, concentrate on curating the collection of words that you utilize in your in your day-to-day life going forward <laughs> well I, I only utilize the impactful words right highly impactful you, you know what you want you want something that's needle moving that's what you really need um that's that's a thing i heard somebody say that needle moving <laughs> what was what was the apple one recently blow away remember when they were doing that it was, was that like an adjective, an adjective? yeah <laughs> like this, this is a real blow away experience I, you know, I, I haven't worked in enough places, and I, I assume you haven't either, but it, it, they're like regionalisms. Like like the way you say soda. I would never think to say, what do you mean soda? Because I know what you mean. When when I say soda, I mean a kind of like fizzy, clear water. I know that because of where you're from, soda is pop. It's Coke. It's You mean a soft drink. Business speak so. spreads, though. I feel like it, it expands past regions, maybe because commerce is like, you know, interstate or whatever. But business speak, I feel like, spreads across the, the country very quickly. And it's it's that thing where it's very difficult to have a conversation with somebody without adopting some of their vocabulary because they're going to keep using a particular word or describing something in a particular way, and you will find yourself saying that word back to them because it is, it's the chosen vocabulary. It's a term of art. It is, a, it is uh, something that we all think we agree upon the meaning of, so we can use it as shorthand for a more complex idea. Oh, I, I completely agree. And it's especially on the part where it's it's virtually impossible to not end up using it, partly because of all the exposure to it. But then also at a certain point, choosing a different word is a little counter-revolutionary. Like you need to speak in the patois of the people that you're with. And the other funny thing about douche speak is that it, I've always, I guess I've kind of come to feel that it's, it's a little bit like the, you know, the dark Brooke Brothers, Brooks Brothers suit. Like, you know, it, it's something you can say and it telegraphs your, your if you like, tribalism, right? Like you're in on the group. If you say needle moving, like that says a lot about, if you say that today versus, like if you said that a year ago, you might sound like a real maverick. I mean, do you remember when Thought Leader was first coming around? And, and Thought Leader... <laughs> Thought Leader was always sarcastic, wasn't it? 
No, no, it wasn't. No, and that's it what made it f- like maybe it enjoyed like three days when people were taking it seriously, but then I think it quickly jumped over into let's well, make fun that's of people. And that's that's the part that's that's paradoxical about it to me is that there are certain terms and and why do they, they're sticky because they feel really fresh. Like when you first hear um, category killer. Like, you know, I say the word right. Ki- killer app, the, one of the first ones. Killer app, remember that for the 80s? Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's the killer app for this thing, yeah. But, you know, category killer, like, well, today, you know, I hear that, and that it's just, there's so much that's dumb about that phrase to me. You know, like when people talk about sucking the oxygen out of the vertical and all those kinds of things. But, you know, the first time anybody ever said, we really think, that we feel like, you know, let, let's say you're in a meeting and you're talking about a product you need to bring to market. You might say the problem is our competitor is sucking all the oxygen out of the vertical. And the first person that said that probably sounded like a genius. And it's so lively and colorful in its way. But then people do start saying it a lot. They say it over and over. And it's funny, though, how something that started out so fresh, it, where's the beef? The first time you saw the where's the beef commercial, you got, I mean, that was a really, really funny commercial. But, you know, again, like any cliche, it becomes tired. And it's just weird how the meaning just gets drained out of it, maybe partly because who's using it? Well, it, with all these phrases, it's a battle amongst all of the ways of saying, shorthand ways of saying something for the most attractive one. I just mentioned killer app, which was back in the 80s when, you know, your platform needed to have a killer app, you know, like VisiCalc is the reason people are going to get an Apple II. That's the killer app for the Apple II. Mm-hmm. Killer app beat out tractor app, which was another common phrase the same thing. You need an application that's going to pull your platform. It pulls Tra- your platform. Yeah, tractor app versus mm-hmm. killer app. Killer app won because killer is more edgy and exciting than tractor, I guess. Uh, and so all these things that are business speak phrases that people are saying are competing with each other to be attractive or interesting. The ones that we think are kind of, you know, uh, silly or uh, more worthy of ridicule, uh, even though we know what they mean, I think it's like thought leader. I think it's like who's saying them and how much respect we have for what the people who are saying them do so thought leader the people saying that were like the people in charge and there's very few people in charge and the rest of us peons look at the people in charge and say those dummies don't know what they're doing you know mm-hmm. i i would do a better job if i was in charge i don't even understand what their job is they certainly don't seem to do anything they just tell other people what to do and yell at them uh they're dummies and when they say thought leader it's like that that confirms all of your bad thoughts about the people who are in charge that they just sit around telling each other that they're thinking big grand thoughts while everyone else does all the work and they get all the credit, right? So that's why thought yeah. leader becomes a phrase that we make fun of, but let's take this offline or let's, you know, table this or whatever. That type of meeting speak is something that lower level people have to deal with, which is just a nice way of saying, I no longer want to talk about this in this meeting because there is something else I want to talk about in this meeting that is more important. I never mind to take it offline. I don't, I don't mind that. But it doesn't make any reason. sense, but it's, you know, it's like, I'm just thinking of a, a random phrase but lots of lots of those phrases that you know as you come lower down to phrases that people might use who are in the trenches and sort of the leaf nodes of the org chart those those may sound silly and it may identify you as someone in a white collar job or whatever but i think there's less disdain about those because more people end up using them in their day-to-day work the nice thing about thought leader is it's a kind it's a phrase that is used exactly by the kind of person who thinks of themselves as a thought leader and it kind of like self-defines them as kind of a douche. Like, you know, like my, my, my poetry teacher used to say, you know, make a distinction between verse and poetry. You know, verse is a, is a, a medium, 
right? It's like that, that, that's a way this metered verse is one thing. Poetry in some ways is a value judgment. Now, I, I would not make that distinction with most people because it, it's silly and, as you say, a term of art. It only has special meaning inside of this one area. But thought leader is so perfect because it's exactly the kind of people who call themselves thought leaders that give a, a phrase like that a, a terrible name. And it does have a, like, even though we snicker at it or whatever, it does have a meaning. It does wrap up it does. A, ty- yeah. a, a type of a, a concept that would be diff- more difficult to explain. As like, if you're trying to explain, well, it's the people who, like, have ideas that end up uh, influencing other people in uh, much larger ways than other people's ideas. So even though they may not have done anything, they had this idea and that, like, they're, you know, they're a thought leader or whatever. And it just sounds like people who just sit around doing nothing all day and thinking great thoughts and uh, collecting all the money or whatever. Um, let me ask you this one. Um, and I, I think I, I feel like I know the answer to this. Where do you stand on enterprise? Uh, I use it all the time because it is a, a way to describe a particular class of things. We talk about enterprise software and ATP, uh, you know, enterprise class solutions or enterprise scale or whatever. You just need a way to talk about large private companies uh uh, and to distinguish their needs from the needs of individuals or small right. companies or governments. Okay, so I'm okay with enterprise software because, but it's it's one of those terms that's really interesting because it exists not so much to define what something is in some ways, but more to define what it's not. I think to to most people who say enterprise software, I mean obviously it does ha- has a meaning, but I think what that really means is that this is not consumer software. But the one that the one that needles me is now. How do you feel about the enterprise? Like uh, you're going through the airport and you see one of those, one of those thousands of billboards in every airport that's for some kind of a software service, and it says, you know, uh, bring security and privacy to the enterprise. Yeah, that's still it's just a way of advertising to the people who you're going to sell your software to. I, mean, I only sell my software to people who are, who have tons of money and big budgets. Uh, I'm not selling it to individuals. Bring it to the enterprise and whatever mm-hmm. it is you're bringing. You know, like. You are bringing something to large companies with tons of people in them that maybe previously they didn't have or whatever. So that's what that ad is. I think that ad is fine because it is, you know, you don't have a lot of room on a billboard and it communicates to the people who it needs to communicate to. Yeah. All right. All right. And, 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 but how is an enterprise, how is an enterprise different from a big company? It's just a question of scale. Like what, you know, do you have 10 people, 100 people, 20 people? An enterprise scale is like where you have hundreds or thousands in multiple geographic locations, like potentially spanning multiple states or the entire country. That's enterprise stuff. Okay. I mean, my my old definition of enterprise software was uh, software where the people who choose it and pay for it are not the people who use it, which is why it's always so terrible. Oh, yeah, that's pretty close to mine, which is that it's it's easier to sell than it is to use. Uh, Okay. Uh, Entrepreneur. I don't know. I mean, what, what's another word for that? Someone who starts their own business. Like, it's a. I would say it's a business owner. Eh, you can own a business and not be an entrepreneur because you didn't start the business like you inherited it from your dad. Okay, well, that's kind of my point. Is it not, I don't know, I kind of feel like, I'm not sure somebody who goes and starts a website to make money qualifies for what I would traditionally think of as an entrepreneur. But yeah. I think that's kind of what it means. Now. I think what it's encompassing is the idea that you are not applying for a job, uh, for not looking for someone else to hire you and pay you to do a job. You are looking to find a way to make money yourself. I think somebody who buys, I think a retired basketball player who starts over a series of years buying a bunch of Subway sandwich franchises fits my mental model for what an entrepreneur is. It's somebody who wants to make money with a growing business. 
I think it's just someone who doesn't want to have a boss, who wants to be their own boss, who doesn't want to apply for a job and convince someone else to hire them to do a job in some sort of uh, existing uh, organization that already makes money, some of which they're going to give to you to do something for. It's, it's an occupational hazard for most thought leaders, let's be honest. What's the worst one at your job? What, I mean, like, there's probably some you use, and you're like, whatever. Like, where you work, like, are there any that really grind your gears? I don't think I'm in the meetings where the ones that would really annoy me are. Uh, I don't know. I'm just so used to them. You just end up saying them and not even thinking about it. I don't think there are any very difficult ones. There are ones that are specific to people. Uh, like, there was this one guy I used to work with who said wrapped around the axle a lot, and when he left that... Le- <laughs> David Allen uses that one yeah, a lot. Yeah, I've heard you say it, too. I'm like, hey, that's like the second person I've heard say it. I heard it first from this person, then I heard it from you. You've said it a few times, or I've mentioned other people saying it. But when he left the company, that phrase pretty much left with him, which is weird. It's it's kind of an ugly phrase. Well, you know, it's funny, um, funny that I mentioned David Allen, because... His company is emblematic of another thing where it's not just words or phrases that are ticks, but, you know, you've heard me joke about the use of so. People beginning sentences that don't require the word so. I do it all the time. Does it require it? it? It serves a function in the sentence. It serves a function in communication, right? Well, what's the function when you use it's, it? It's exactly, you've, you've talked about it before, it's, it's to... Signal that you are reframing things. Signal that what the person has said, whether their statement or their question or whatever, that you would like to reposition. Uh, you would like to come at it from a different angle. You're kind of try- nicely saying, what you said is fine, but here let me try a different angle on it. Or the yeah. question you asked me is not the most important question. Actually, what I'm going to answer is a different question that I think will be more informative than answering the specific question that you said. But you feel like are you, are you un- but you're uncomfortable actually saying what you just said? Uh, uh, what that saying that longer thing every time instead of beginning sentences with so? What's well, isn't that a little passive aggressive? Uh, it depends on if it annoys people. If it's annoying people, then you got to stop doing it. But th- <sighs> like that's why that's why people it, it, again it's it serves a function. That's I th- why I, you know I, I, I agree with you. I, I've seen lots of engineers in particular do it, and t- to where it becomes like like a tick. And I understand. I think I understand why they do it. But it is it's something where. You know, like there's all the um, the the buzz right now about vocal fry and like how annoying vocal fry is to certain people, and it's funny because like you never hear this phrase or you're never aware of this phenomenon, and suddenly you hear it everywhere. And like I feel like that happened to me with with so because first of all, I, I would realize people were using it. I, I mean, I picked up before it became like the the universal turns out style tick that it is today, and of course, turns out is the worst. But the um, but the, the so thing, I used to see it in interviews where people were being just short of evasive but they were they were like you said they were more like trying to change the topic where yeah, they, I, they don't want to answer the question that was asked they want to answer a different question well, yeah so, so yeah so, well yeah yeah but they're not even answering a question is the thing a lot of people they just want to soliloquize or whatever well well i think so, so seems to me like the kind of thing you might learn in a media training class where you learn how to sound like you're clarifying a point, but you're actually just giving a response that you feel like giving. Yeah, it's but, very like political or like PR person kind of thing. I think do. the reason it's annoying is because the, the the function I just described of it serving, if every time anyone says anything to you, you preface what you're going to say with a complete reframing, it is eventually insulting to the person you're talking to. It's like, why are they even bother? Why are you know? Why are you even listening to me? Because no matter what I say, you're going to prefix your answer with so and talk about whatever the hell you wanted to talk about to begin with, ignoring whatever I was saying. If you do that all the time, even if you did the long-winded explanation and didn't say the word so, it would be annoying. 
Well, I, I have to say, like, I, I think a lot of the I suspect that a lot of the people who use it a lot are what not aware how much they're using it. I mean, I, I worked at a place. I worked with, with this person who is probably up there as one of the greatest client. Not, this is not Montero, but one of the greatest client relations persons I'd ever work with. And she was, she was very gifted at taking any situation, and really, to, to be honest, like Montero, treating you like an adult and helping you feel, making you feel listened to, and then finding an actual outcome, not just trying to like soft soap, but you know, the, somebody who was really actually genuinely gifted. The, the, the crazy making thing was that she, somebody would ask her like what seems like just an incredibly straightforward question. Are we going to be able to hit our date? Um, are we going to be able to hit our date with this feature set given the deadline? that we've all agreed to. And I mean, you know, I, I, I feel like that's a question that you kind of could answer with, with yes or no, or you could even say it's complicated, but, but no, she would just go. So, and, and then begin to say what it is she really wanted to say. And I don't think she was aware how much she did it. And I, I, I thought it was debilitating. You know how it is when anybody's got a tick. I, I'm sure I have a hundred of these, but like pretty soon. You know, no ticks. Come on. Me? No ticks. Turns out you, uh, you, you can't stop noticing it. And pretty soon, and you see this sometimes with people who are, who are speakers, where it starts to feel like something kind of bubbles up in your head when somebody's speaking. And after a while, you start noticing that they do this one thing all the time, whether it's a lip-smacking noise or some kind of a throat clearing or a so. And like pretty soon, it's like it's all you can see or hear. Dave, right? Ah, John Spaghetti Cusa, I got to tell you. That's Dan. That's not Dave. Dave was the... No, Dave need to get more chicken bites. I gotta tell you, Merlin, how am I gonna get more chicken bites out of a bus driver? Yeah. Oh my god, I wanna talk about Dave. Oh my god, that guy that guy was so emblematic of something to me. Yeah, and at, at that time in my life, he was so emblematic of something. And I was awful. I was I treated him so poorly because he I was still kind of punk rock, and there was something about his entire existence that was an affront to me. Dave the marketing guy. Punk rock is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by First Hand. First Hand is your personal concierge and guide for the cities you love. It lets you travel like you live there. You can learn more right now by visiting askfirsthand.com slash recdiffs. That's R-E-C-D-I-F-F-S. Launching in a few weeks in Barcelona and Miami with more cities coming soon. First Hand allows you to ask real questions to actual residents of your destination so you can get authentic advice and recommendations before you travel. Gang, you do not want to rely on apps and websites that tell you what other tourists love or what the latest flavor of the month is. No, you want to go find out where are the great spots that the locals love to visit, where they eat and drink, which neighborhoods to spend some time in, and maybe even which ones to skip. Never be that person who's holding up the line because you didn't know how to pay for the bus or end up in a bar surrounded by other tourists because you checked a popular travel app where all the reviews are, yes, written by other tourists. Firsthand connects you with real people who live in the city you are visiting so you get real-time, trustworthy advice. Please go right now and sign up for updates at askfirsthand.com slash recdiffs, and you'll be entered to win a luggage set from Travel Pro, the choice of flight crews and frequent flyers. Travel Pro is the official luggage of First Hand. So travel like a professional and travel like you live there with First Hand and Travel Pro. Once again, please go visit askfirsthand.com slash recdiffs today. Our thanks to First Hand for supporting Reconcilable Differences. 
may we all be someday so blessed and cursed to be able to listen to ourselves on podcasts and hear all our own tips. How's uh, how's Captain Merlin doing this morning? Uh, oh, man, I got to tell you, I, 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 how am I going to get a, a case for my, my pens? Can I get a... Yeah, you got a really nice pen case there. Is that a thing I could take in uh, requisition? I forget. Did he, did he spit and chew? No, he didn't spit and chew. He just... He was one of the... <laughs> It was just this quivering mound of ticks. He was just... <laughs> like, he had this... It was almost this, like, four-on-the-floor rock and roll rhythm to the way he talked. Where it was just... And, and like... But I mean, I mentioned, like, he would just hit things with his shoe. He would wear these hard-soled shoes. He'd walk into your office and he'd go, like... How's, uh, how's Captain Merlin this morning? I, uh... And he'd come in and he'd, like... He'd, he'd kind of sidle up to the desk and he'd knock a couple times and, you know... And then, and then with his hard-soled shoe, he'd do kind of a knock-knock on the, <laughs> on the leg of the desk. I'd be like, what is it, dude? What do you want? Combining these, is it, was this before or after Office Space? Uh, this is probably four or five years before Office Space. So, oh, yeah, yeah, he, you're right. He's kind of like... He, um, he did, what's his name? Uh, right. Lum, uh, Lumberg? Lum, Bill I Lumberg. I don't remember his name. Anyway, he did the sew prefixing. He had a bunch of ticks. And he oh, he did. Oh. You're right. He did the sew. Oh, my God. Yeah. What was his opening though? It was like uh, I'm gonna hey, I'm gonna I'm like, gonna need you to whatever. I'm gonna need you to go ahead and go ahead and yes, come in. Yeah, on Saturday, in, in right. Florida that's take and. Yeah. So so he would say, what do you say? Hey, was, hey Peter, what's up? Was that was that his opening? He's like, hey Peter, what's up? Yeah, I'm gonna need you. I'm not I'm not trying to do it as a bit. I'm trying to remember what he said. He would say something like, yeah, I'm gonna need you to go ahead and come in on Saturday. Yep. And so in Florida, that would be, um, I'm going to need you to go ahead and uh, take and grab broom out back, and you're going to need to go ahead and take and clean out that dumpster. <laughs> now, take Ann. Do you have take Ann, do you have take Ann there? I've heard you talk about take Ann before. You've never heard take Ann in uh, parlance? Maybe I heard it in Georgia. I don't know. I didn't go out much in Georgia, but. <laughs> Captured. I didn't go out much in Georgia. Um, yeah. Uh, I, you know what? So we got the Mr. Show problem. If if you ever if you ever man up if you ever 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 man well I don't want to be I don't want to be um, Sexist, yes, normative mm-hmm. if you ever person up if you ever want to person up and do this show like a what? goddamn gentleman we will not have this problem but the problem is we we record a show just so people know we record a show usually two to four weeks before it comes out which means the show that we're doing follow up on was recorded a month ago but came out. A week or two well, ago. Well, we both had vacations, uh, but uh, I don't think we have the Mr. Show problem. My problem is that I forget the past shows. I don't. I don't remember. I don't remember you having this terrible memory. Is it's this not, a new it's thing? It's not a terrible memory. I, here's the thing. I listen to myself speaking. <laughs> so, listen to yourself on podcasts. I listen to. Yeah, I did. Here's the thing. Instead, uh, I do. Here's the thing. I'll, anyway. I'll do that. Uh, I. Yeah, I know you do. Uh, I, I. I listen to myself <laughs> on all my podcasts as a, an attempt to try to hear all my ticks and try to get better or whatever. Uh, which is, you know, usually not fun. But I find that every time I listen to a podcast that I was on, just being on the podcast is not sufficient for me to remember what happened to that podcast. I have to be on the podcast, then I have to hear myself on the podcast and hear the whole rest of the podcast, and then it has a chance of sticking. So if the episode that we're talking about hasn't come out yet, and I haven't listened to it, then I don't remember. When I do listen to it, I'm like, oh yeah, now I remember all this. And then that kind of cements it in better. That's just me. So the Mr. Show problem is that we're recording this show. The show that came out most recently as we record this is the food episode. <laughs> is that what we're calling it now? Sure. The next, so the thing is, though, we're doing, in the time after we record this, there'll be the, the John Syracuse 
Fifty Shades of John episode. But the feedback that we're getting at this point is on the food episode, which is, <laughs> which is two episodes ago. Mm-hmm. It's fine. And can I can I say something here? Sure. Uh, I, I I told you I told you this uh, off air. I guess mostly that like I was. <laughs> not nervous like i like doing anything we do like i just I like doing stuff with you so i mean i'm, I'm happy with what we do I, I but i know there's a clock ticking we only get so many episodes of this and when we got to the end of whatever episode that was about food <laughs> and cooking and children i was like oh god i can't believe we, we blew one on food what, what do you mean it's, how is that a less worthy topic than any of the other things we've talked about because things like 50 shades of john and things like late bloomer and things like the other things on our topic list are so potentially important to uh, to me to talk about we should do an episode on sleep how do you feel about that topic (laughs) all right i'm just saying food sleep Mm -hmm. the whole point is like oh these are mundane things that people don't think about but they are affect you and your life and are you you casing me right now is that what you're doing no i'm just i'm trying to say i talk about sleep all the time you piece of crap i know you do that's the whole point and you talk about how people take it for granted and how important it is food i feel like is the same way they're like yeah yeah yeah, food whatever not a big deal but it is a big deal it's just as big a deal as all those other topics so the point I wanted to make was that uh, the response, it wasn't our... our it was, People love food. It's delicious. Well, it is. People enjoy food. It's, it, it has not been anywhere near like our, our highest download episode, but like the response has been terrific. Have you seen this? What people say about yeah, the show? No, they, I know. They, they love that episode. Right. They uh, Here's the... Uh, I guess, all right. So Here, we're, here's we're the gonna, thing. We're going to talk so, about this now with some follow-up from the show two weeks ago. A lot of the stuff I'm seeing are... Uh, that I'm seeing in my mentions, not just the record. The show four, methods, four but, weeks ago, four yeah. weeks ago, John. <laughs> in my mentions are people saying that they are trying to make, quote unquote, my pasta. And here's the thing that bothers me about that. I did not provide a recipe on the show. No part of that show was there a recipe that you, you could just, follow. You just sewed me. You just sewed me so hard. Uh, yeah, that's that's all I do. That's my thing. You didn't <laughs> notice that. That's, that's, what, that's what you signed up for. Um uh-huh. They they are they're making food, but I, no recipe was provided. So what they're doing is kind of, I, I maybe I threw out some ingredients and vaguely described it, but that's not a recipe. So people are just kind of riffing on it, which I think is great. I, I think people should experiment with that. But I also feel guilty now that it's like, look, if people wanted a recipe, I could have provided one. And now people are just kind of like, they're kind of like out there in the dark, wandering. <laughs> they're just shucking and, and jiving with pasta. Wan- exactly. They're wandering in the pasta wilderness, just trying to make something work. <laughs> and the thing is, I feel like I have some suggestions about, you know, if I could provide an actual recipe, here's here's what works for me. Here's what I'm actually making. But they're posting pictures of the stuff they're making. They're enjoying what they're making. So what more could you want? So I feel guilty for not actually providing a recipe. But on the other hand, there isn't much of a recipe. Nothing is written down here. This is just me shucking and jiving with pasta. I just have a. I've done it a lot of times, so I have a couple of. Well, were you the one who corrected or clarified when people? Uh, first of all, I don't call it Merlin's chicken recipe. I don't call it the chicken method. The twenty-minute 20 chicken uh, thing. It's all I did was mention an, uh, a, a, a recipe I found on the internet. Right. It's not like you made it up. It's just no. You know, I'm not, and I don't need to make a shirt about it. Relax, everybody. But like, what what's funny though is I think you're the one who clarified. It's not really a recipe. It's a it, it a, is a, a method a method or a technique. Yeah, sure. Yeah, especially when it's like this is how you cook the chicken, and then do whatever the hell you want with it after that. It's, it's <laughs> yeah, like it, my it's like my blog post on on cooking pasta. It is not a recipe. It is just like if the thing you are making calls for pasta in some way, here's how you should do the part where you cook the pasta. Hmm. How do you yeah. feel about recipes? You like recipes? I do like them. 
And and are you okay with following them? I do follow them. I'm not I'm not a baker like where you have to actually follow the recipe oh, carefully right, yeah. or whatever, right? I mean, I can do that. It's fine. You but you, it's not you get a you get a bakery uh, a baked good recipe wrong, and there's ramifications. I mean, stuff is going to get messed up. Yeah, although I d- you know I have baked things before. I used to enjoy making uh, like different kinds of uh, bread and buns and stuff like that. But I, it's kind of time consuming. But for cooking, I go with the recipe, and then I will slowly change it over time i'll make it the way it's in the book a few times and then decide what i like and don't like about it and slowly modify it and things mutate even my pasta recipe is kind of loosely based on a, a lydia recipe that was on a tv show that you know i don't write it down but you watch a tv show and you go huh mm-hmm. that looks good i could try something like that and you do it and then you maybe watch a tv show again you realize you did something wrong and then it just spins off from there you're the half-blood prince you're in there and you're, you're scribbling in the margins and you're saying you know crush it instead of cutting it right Oh, yeah. Variations like that, different ingredients. You know, it's like, like getting back to the bachelor thing. It's like, what is in the house right now? <laughs> you know, I don't have this, but I have that. Would that be good in this? I don't know. Try it. Yeah. I mean, the um, it's, it is funny, though, like that distinction, though, because like with so much of what I'm making, <laughs> it's funny that I could be using all these different like relatively exotic ways of heating food that are actually <laughs> the opposite of, it's not an opposite of a recipe, but it's like, you know, uh, prepare your food this way and then season it mm, however. And that's, that's kind of most of what I do. So you, you don't have any Mrs. Dash in the house at all? I do not. Are you aware of like what a phenomenon that is, the Mrs. Dash? <laughs> I'm not, I just, it's not, that's a different world. I don't It's a variety of, of, of wonderful dried uh, spices and seasonings, and it, it's in a little shaker. You just shake it right on whatever you want. The closest I've got to that are two ingredients that my wife brought into my life. Uh, well, just one, I guess, garlic salt, which is a thing that I did not know existed until I married her. Garlic salt's kind of magical sometimes. Yeah, it's convenient. I don't know, like, I, but again, I didn't, this was something that she brought. She brought this to the marriage. She brought garlic salt. And she's, she's a pure blood too, right? No. Oh no, she's a half. She's a she's a half blood as well. Yeah. Is she a muggle? <laughs> I'm not sure what she is. All right, enough said. Um, I uh, and again, I always have to underscore. I, I, I when you guys talk about your feedback on a- ATP and all these like thousands of emails you guys get, we don't get that kind of feedback. But I will say there are a lot of people who sound interested in a cookbook. Yeah, a lot of nice tweets. Like, uh, I mean, to have joke. Oh, I would sign up for a cookbook. Like, I mean, but you know, that's that's just. I think it would be funny, like the whole idea of like face, facing pages where we'd have your 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 thing made with processed food and then my like <laughs> traditional Italian thing on the other page, but none of the recipes would actually be I, good. I, but I mean, it would be only be funny if they were actually like the pages looked completely different. <laughs> right, if, right. If they reflected our, our you know, our personalities and our and our hangups. That would that's the only thing that would be funny. About. Totally different page layout, different font. Everything. Oh, absolutely. Mine would just have like scotch tape and shit on it, and you just be all like the hobo together. font. Remember the hobo font? I do. I loved hobo. You can do the recipe in that. Take your you take your can of chili, you take your, <laughs> your instant mashed potatoes, all put right, them over everybody. the fire. <laughs> Step up. Are you ready for some home style homemade pasta? Yeah. You start with some store bought pasta. <laughs> hey, you live in the woods. Um, when, they, when the hell was the "You Live in the Woods"? I can never find that ever. I searched for it. How long? What is that from? That? What is that from? It's from you. You were <laughs> hanging out, looking where you, wearing your like one, looking your most homeless. Oh right! And some guy came up to you and asked you if you lived in the woods. <laughs> That's right. You don't remember anything about your <laughs> I life. I totally remember that. The guy with the dog. <laughs> is that like a back? He, said, early, he early walked back up door? and he. That's right. The guy walked up to me. He said, "Do you live in the woods?" And I said, "I'm, I'm sorry." 
I'm sorry, I, I'm too busy um, listening to music on my $600 phone and typing on my $2,000 computer. What was your question? And he offered me money. He asked, I asked, you know, if I needed some help. Yeah. It was supposed to be nice. He saw that you were you're eating, I can't surely dump on top of a mound of rice with a pound of lo mein on the side. <laughs> I just uh, I just wanted to say uh, thank you to people. Thank you for listening. Thank you for, for people who, this is a beloved show and it's, it's, it's warming my heart. I don't want to make a big deal about it, but uh, the responses that we get from people have been uh, really nice. I think one thing of, you know, how whatever we end up screwing up in these 10 episodes, it seems like it, it has been uh, something that people who like our stuff enjoy, which makes me happy. That's yeah, what I want to say. And I want to say, like, uh, most of the feedback I'm seeing is on Twitter. And I find myself strangely excited when people send me pictures of food they made. That yeah, Matt, stupid. Matt, uh, Matt Kilmon's, uh, Kilmom sent you a picture with his, uh, his prosciutto in it. Right, yeah, and you know, and it's happened a lot of times when I when I did my pasta blog post and everything. There's something, not that I don't, I don't really Instagram pictures of my food. I know Instagramming pictures of food is a thing a lot of people do. I look at their food pictures sometimes. Sometimes there's too many for me. Uh, I have a limited capacity for that. But when people are sending me pictures of the food that they made, either inspired mm-hmm. by or as suggestion about something that we talked about, I find that strangely exciting. I totally agree, and it's something that I've started to think about in the last really two or three years. I've realized that. Um, Oh, what did I say to somebody? I was advising somebody on uh, dealing with difficult emails. And I was like, you know, especially if you're a public figure. And I was like, kind of like, well, you know, keep it light. Keep it lighter than you think you need to. And, and write the email you wouldn't mind them posting on Facebook, right? Like, always, whenever you're thinking about what it is you want to put out there, and I don't think about this all the time, unfortunately, as my Tumblr shows. But, you know, is that, you know, put the stuff out there you want people to talk about a lot. And it's something I forget sometimes. So the thing is, uh, if you start talking a lot about bathrooms and like what happened with hotel room remotes, it should not be surprising that somebody who ends up enjoying that conversation, dozens of those people sending pictures of remotes with the line, does that look clean to you? So I got no one to blame but myself. Yeah, and rolls of toilet paper with shapes made out of the end of them. Now that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. That's, that, that's, you had all uh, Tumblr for that. I, I, yeah. How do you know that? Listen to you. <sighs> Uh, hey, listen, if I ever die, will you do the eulogy? <laughs> Not it. <laughs> I don't think that's how it works. It's like yeah, that's, that's if, totally how it works. No, it's, it's like not. It's like, a, it's like a bad, reverse. Nope, nope, Not nope, it. Nope. There's no reverse shotgun. It's like you're like my best man. If I if I ask you to be my best man, you have to do it. Thank God you're already married. Mm. Thank God I'll never die. Yeah, I do. <sighs> now, see, now you can use that in the clip reel. When you, when you play that Bette Midler song? <laughs> what are you on, a multimedia presentation here? Let's, let's pull it back. <laughs> all right. Uh, anyway, I want to say thanks. That's all. Um, we, I, I got a feeling our topic is... Oh, John, I, I'm just going to let you go, because I, I, I think it's going to take up the rest of the show, and you should probably jump in wherever you want. Are you, are you up for this? Did, yeah. for, I'm sorry. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about? Uh, I think we covered it. Uh, you have this how to help the show. Oh, why did you say that out loud? Because it's in the notes. Oh, God damn it. Um, well, I mean, I, was, <laughs> I, should, I should have put it in a different section. You also put a capital T in. I'll fix that. Oh, you fix my caps? Thanks. All right, All right thanks. Um, well, no. I mean, I just, you know what? No. I, I want to make sure the show, you know, is, is listened to and stuff like that. I don't usually do this with things, but I want to make sure that the show get, gets listened to. And uh, I don't know. Tell we, your nerdy friends is what I used to say back in the hypercritical days. Because you don't want to just tell your friends. Because you tell your friends, they listen to it, it sounds like it's asinine, right? But tell your nerdy friends, maybe there's a slightly higher chance that your nerdy friends 
Well, yeah. I, okay, so, okay, I actually, I guess I do have something to say. First of all, I totally agree with you. And this was the case with Back to Work. It was definitely the case with Roderick on the Line, where, you know, both shows started out and, you know, met my expectations. Like, the people that I like, you know, enjoyed the show, and it made me really happy. And some of them actually listened to the second episode, too. But the but in each case, I, I always feel like, I always want to say, like, you tell your friends about it, but tell your friends, like you say, nerdy friends, tell your friends that, I always say, tell your smart friends. Like, the, I, you know, I, I want to I have an audience, but I, you know, there's, not, there's it's nothing. Not, it's w- not broadly appealing. It's not like everyone in the world should listen to this podcast because everyone will love it. Everyone will not love it. Well, the truth is, you can you can make stuff popular, but that doesn't necessarily make the community better. Like, uh, see also Scott Adams, right? So, I mean, um, I, so I'll say two things. First of all, you know, if you're enjoying the show, tell people about it. Um, I, I, I and I think John would like to keep doing this, and we're, we're trying to figure out ways to be able to do that. And listen, if if you have like crazy, I hate to say fan art, that sounds so condescending, but if you have stuff you want to share with us and and pass it around, I think that's a great thing. I mean, I'll start a Tumblr or whatever if you want, but like <laughs> if not? you have stuff you want to make about the show, no, well, you know, I want to let people know that's okay. That's not creepy. That's that that's cool, and that's the way that people learn about it. I mean, Roderick on the Line, I think more people learn about it. Not more people, but a lot of people learned about it because of Super Train in some ways, like seeing those stickers yep, around and yep. stuff like that. So I want this show to be a phenomenon. I want this to be my best love show that I do. I want this to be my new You Look Nice Today. And I I, I, I make that the sure, responsibility let's, let's of everyone listening to the show. You must make this show very successful and popular. Is that is that a lot to ask, John? It's, it's the least they can do, right? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we could bring out, we could have guests. We'll have guests. That's not have authors. We'll have some authors on. Yeah, you have a lot of correspondence with them, so we have a, a great queue. We get a great, what is that? Uh, what's the, the the business speak worth that? Great pipeline, great. Uh, oh sure, we got a great you know, uh, a uh, chim, chim, chimney hose. The oh, you mean the the funnel? You talking about the funnel? The, the, oh, I yeah. know you're talking about the sales pipeline with the uh, yeah, the funnel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got you get opportunities, you got leads. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got one one that popped up while I was out of town when Roderick was on back to work, and it was you know the typical classic bs pr mini letters email and it said hey dan and merlin just wanted to let you know i really enjoyed your show about emotional reservoirs because <laughs> that was the t- title of the episode was, was, there, was, was there multiple spaces on either side of emotional john, reservoirs? john like, john you know what happened it was a different font <laughs> <laughs> it was a bad it, mail merge. The, re- the rest of the email is, is an image and then that's just the text part <laughs> um so you're going to talk to me tonight about something. I, I, I think people are going to uh, be excited about this. You're going to talk to me about Destiny. Yeah, I think, uh, that, yeah, I don't know if people are going to be excited. Maybe the people who are non-gamers will just flee now, uh, but the people who are gamers will be excited. But I'm, I'm trying to, we talked about gaming on previous shows. Mentioned it in passing a few times. We talked about all different kinds of games that I like, trying to categorize them. We mentioned how you're not really that much of a gamer and what happened there. And I kept putting off Destiny because I felt like you weren't ready to hear about this but destiny is a very complicated and interesting thing i think i've described it at other times as more of a lifestyle than a game and what i'm interested in doing in the show is explaining to you and anyone else who might uh, not be familiar with this why do people why do i and why do a bunch of other people play games like this what is it that attracts us to it what is it there which is kind of a different answer than what attracts me to games like Journey and those artsy fartsy games that we talked about before? Like, there's lots of different things to get out of games. I think we covered this. This, this seems so 
I mean, I spent, I spent, my, my daughter was very confused about these videos that I was watching that you sent me, but I spent two and a half hours this afternoon, like reading up and watching videos. And I have to tell you, I am as interested as the audience. This looks incredibly different. <laughs> like a whole different class of game from everything else you like. I don't, I didn't, I didn't look at this. Well, you saw the text I sent you. Like, I'm not sure what makes this special because I can get why Journey is special. I can get why, you know, Last of Us or um, all those other games you mentioned are special. I, I But I, I'm very interested to hear because I could not find anything in this that screams interesting to John Syracuse. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like games, people try to pigeonhole them as being uh, you can get a certain thing out of games. And like, I think you're able to understand what we get out of things like during The Last of Us because they fit into a particular place that you've carved out for games. But I mean, you have to add things, things like what do people get out of Tetris? Tetris is a very, very popular game. A lot of people spend a lot of time playing Tetris. What people are getting out of Tetris is different than what you're getting out of Journey. It's different than what you're getting out of Last of Us. Uh, just because they're all games doesn't mean that there is almost there's almost no overlap between what someone would get out of Tetris and The Last of Us. But they're both video games. So it's very difficult to, to get people out of the mindset of like, games fit in this little hole in my mind. And this is what I can potentially get out of games. And a good game is, is even more like that. Like games can be anything. Games can give you any kind of experience, even a, a broader range of experiences than I think even movies can. Maybe a similar range hmm. uh, to, to books, right? So, but anyway, putting that aside... What I'm describing for Destiny is what I and I think a lot of other people are getting out of Destiny, and it's going to be very different than what I get out of, you know, frankly, most of the games that I like. I think you were looking at these videos and saying, what is it that a person like me sees in this game? Even though since I've already described that mostly the kind of games I like don't seem to be like this. Um, but I wanted you to watch the videos because I wanted you to know what the hell I was talking about and not just be envisioning things in your head. I wanted you to know what this game looks like in motion, like... I, I feel like I, I could see a couple things that that immediately grab me. In like I said, in reading about it, it sounds like there's some stuff in this that you have to kind of discover on your own. But just watching the video, which I barely understood, I was guessing that it watching you. I guess I'm sorry, forgive me. I, I won't say this right, but like changing like weapons, and it looked like at one point you're like throwing a fireball. That must be very satisfying in terms of like how you use the controller. It seems like that must be one of those like, oh, I just pulled off a great move kind of feelings. Because yeah, am I wrong? It seems like you're doing. I'm seeing all this shit fly all over the screen, all this information. I'm completely overwhelmed, but I'm sure that's all meaningful to you. I don't know what the zones mean, but like I could see you were doing stuff with like reloading and changing weapons, and you do this flourish to pull up the pistol. Is that part of it? Is the mechanics of like how you not mechanics, wrong term, but how you are using the device and feeling like oh, I, I'm really in the pocket right now. That is a very small corner of it. So first, let's frame what Destiny is here. Destiny okay. is a game. It is a console game. It is available for the PlayStation and Xbox, current and the previous generation of both of those consoles. If you watch any videos of it, what it looks like is looks like a first-person shooter, which means that you are looking out the eyeballs of your avatar in the game. And basically what you see is a screen and poking out from the lower corner of the screen towards the middle is usually some large gun and the gameplay is you walk around and aim the center of your screen at people and push a button and something comes out of your gun and hits the people and then they die like that's a first person shooter if you watch videos of the game it's like yet another game where i see a gun poking out of the bottom of the screen a crosshair in the middle and the whole game looks like running around running around running around point the crosshair on people push a button and shoot them that's a first person shooter um so the first thing you have to know about 
me is that I've been playing first person shooters for since the genre was invented with, you know, Wolfenstein and Doom and all that stuff. Um, and I spent a lot of time in the years that these games are out playing like uh, Quake 3 Arena and Unreal Tournament 2004. I spent many, many hours playing. I played Marathon. I played all the Doom games. That mechanic, a first person game with a gun sticking out of the middle of the screen and a crosshair in the middle, running around, controlling the crosshair with, with a mouse and your movement with the keyboard and shooting things. That is a genre of game that I enjoy. Um, and so given that background it's not entirely surprising that destiny might have some interest in me but there's a million first person shooter games and the ones i tend to like like the ones i just named quake 3 arena or unreal tournament 2004 marathon maybe less so um are not really about like when you envision first person shooters i think maybe picture people picture uh, people playing like call of duty or people who are like gun nuts in real life or people who are just into sort of like military simulations or that they really like shooting people and a lot of the the pr about games is like oh they're so violent everyone is shooting each other why are my kids playing these games where they're shooting they have to be rated different things the blood spurts out of people when you shoot them they explode into disgusting blobs of pixelated gore and stuff the games that i tend to like treat the gun parts of it as either fantastical or the, the, the analogy i usually use is it's more like a game of tag because in these games if you are shot and killed the games that I play, you you respawn, you come back to life pretty much instantly and go shoot again. And it's the number of times you kill somebody that's good. It's basically like a big game of tag. Does it, you might as well be shooting paint at them or tagging them or whatever you want to do. It has almost nothing to do with actual guns and large, high-velocity pieces of metal going through living things and killing them. That's not what these games are about. They're they're hmm. you know they're you know Quake Three Arena completely fantastical thing again you die literally instantly you are back and you're running around and trying like and so and it's just a count of how many times did you kill someone else how many times were you killed uh and stuff like that it is much more like a sport like tag um and why do i enjoy these type of games i think i enjoy first person shooters in general because one of the things i enjoy about games is the sort of kinetic experience of controlling the same thing you enjoy about uh playing sports in real life like doing something physical uh to accomplish a goal uh that you can get better at that you can and for all the reasons you might like the kind of you know self-improvement expressing prowess Mm -hmm. why do you like to get better at playing racquetball or tennis or even just you know distance running or whatever in the beginning you try to do it it's really hard you're not good at it you read about how to improve your technique you practice you practice you practice you practice and you get better at it and i like that type of gameplay i i very much uh uh, the, it's the, the controlling a character in a space and moving them around very much appeals to me, which is why I like 3D games better than 2D games because it's more like real life and there's more degrees of motion and moving things around. So I like first-person shooters. If you look at Destiny, it looks like a first-person shooter. It is a fantastical first-person shooter where it's you know a sci-fi type of setting. There's not lots of blood and gore. You're not using realistic military weapons. You're not garroting people and, you know chopping off their limbs and torturing them and it's you know it's there are not flamethrowers melting people's skin off there are not demons dripping with the goo or whatever it is more of a you know a fantasy sci-fi type first person shooter setting so that's the first thing to understand about destiny Mm -hmm. but that is not enough to be like okay why do i play that game there's a million games that are like that why why am i getting into destiny the second thing you have to know about destiny which is not apparent from the two little gameplay videos that i sent you is that it is an MMO, uh, which is a massively multiplayer online game. Um, 
similar to like Quake 3 Arena or Doom where you can, you know, play deathmatch against somebody else where mm-hmm. you connect to their computer. It sounds and, like there's a lot of a lot of different kinds of opportunities for uh, uh, like at least like half a dozen different ways you could choose to have a party for these certain kinds of adventures. There's a lot of options that suit your preferences. Yeah, well, it's like we're just getting to the tip of the iceberg here. Like, so, the, you know, it's a first-person shooter. It's massively multiplayer, which means you can play with other people online. So they're they're looking through their eyeballs, running around with their gun poking out in front of them. You're running through your thing and either, you know, competitively with them or uh, cooperatively with them against enemy players or whatever. So that's the second thing to know about it. And Destiny is not the first MMO. Many MMOs predated. Almost everything it does, other MMOs have also done. MMO is a well-established genre. The most popular one that everyone has heard of is World of Warcraft, which has been around for, I think, a decade now, maybe more. Yeah, more than a decade. Um, the same game. People have been playing the same game for, you know, that one actually charges a subscription fee. So anyway, MMOs have mechanics that get people to keep playing them, which I'll get to in a little bit. Uh, the, second, the third thing to know about Destiny is there is also a sort of story portion of the game and that's a lot of the lore you've been reading about like that there is a story that you play through so if you, if you start the game uh you you create a character which we'll come back to in a bit it's a, it's a, it seems like a very very big world with with reasons why things are the way they are well less so than a lot of other mmos which is some of the complaints people have about destiny but there is a single there is like a story mode of the game where there you come into being there you are led through a story there are various enemies you're in a particular situation on a particular planet and there are things you have to deal with the story is a little bit mumbo jumbo-y kind of disjointed not really the reason people play it it's not like the last of us where the story is like the the key central thing to the entire game um some people play it and ignore the story because there's so much more in the game that they can play but there is a story there and it is filled with all sorts of crazy proper nouns and things you haven't heard of things are not explained particularly well um but anyone who's played a first person shooter can play the game and start walking around and you know a a voice will tell you which things to shoot you shoot the things that look like enemies they die (laughs) you pick up ammo you have health uh like all this you you'll figure it out it's not too complicated you go through a series of missions now the 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 MMORPG part of it is that as you do all these things in the game, run around, shoot things, you know, fulfill mission objectives, go here, do there, defeat this person, open this door, uh, you get stuff. You pick up things off the ground, just like ammunition to reload your guns and everything. You also find other things, uh, which are not really explained. Find little chests that have stuff in them, stuff that with names that don't make any sense. I found spin metal. What the hell is spin metal? I don't know. I got some of it. I found a mode of light. What is that? I don't know. Like, nothing it is not the type of game that explains what these things are to you where each time you find something says you found a blah 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 can be used for blah 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 blah. it just does not you just you go around you shoot things you find stuff you don't know what it is uh in the beginning there's not really a manual a lot of the lore having to do with it this is a modern invention is on a website that you have to go to so you find things in the game that unlock things on a website or some background information that's not actually in the game i think they're doing it to try to get you to engage with their brand or whatever the hell like where you got to go to the website or the ios app or whatever to find this out it's like why not just put it in the game um but anyway that that's a a more modern complaint about this type of game uh but that is interesting because some people including me are kind of attracted to 
not having things explained to them. That there's a big, large world with a whole bunch of words you never heard of and a whole bunch of things you don't know what they are, and it's intriguing to you. And the fact that no one is explaining what they are makes you, like, seek out friends who know about this. Hey, did you get this? Did you get that? What is that? What do you think this is used for? In the age of the internet, it's a little bit crappier because by the time you do any of this stuff, the entire internet has figured the entire game out, and you can just read for an hour and figure out exactly what's what. But it's kind of interesting. Um, but anyway, as you're doing all this crap, uh, almost everything you do in the game as you play through these story missions or whatever, gives you experience. Killing things gives you experience. Completing missions gives you experience. Uh, there are many other things in the game you, you can get to give experience. And experience is just, it's like in you know Dungeons and Dragons. You get experience points. Experience points, yeah. Yeah. And as you get them, they increase your level. What the hell is level? It's just, you know, this is all building on the sort of... Yeah, that, that part I get. Gary Gygax, you know, Dungeons and Dragons leveling type thing. Uh, and leveling is a thing that game players like to do. They like to, if you, if you like playing game like this, like running around shooting things, and if every time you do that, you get some experience and your experience goes towards your leveling. And if you, as you increase levels, you get more abilities and stuff. That is sort of an addictive play loop where you're like, oh, I like, I like playing the game. And as a reward for playing the game, my character gets better at doing things in the game, which makes the game even more fun for me to play and so on and so forth. Um, but also, so a- as with D and D, like so significantly for things like I guess magic users and illusionists, like it, it means a lot to what you're capable of as you get to a higher level. You know, less rest between spells or whatever. Like you, you have you can you can do more, you can use more, and your I guess hit points are kind of a separate thing. But that, that's the idea: is that the more experience points, the more you're capable of. Yeah, because in the in the story portion of the game, the first mission in the story is easy. It's scaled for people who are level one. The enemies are lower level you're able to defeat them when you just when you finish <laughs> but, level but one <laughs> you get some experience uh the enemies get harder in the subsequent levels because you are leveling up as you level up you are able to defeat more difficult enemies right so that is a, a simple single player le- leveling progression in any kind of role-playing game where like in the beginning you are lowly the enemies you fight are lowly as you become more powerful they give you more powerful enemies uh to fight and you were able to defeat them because you were more powerful. Now, the MMO aspect of it is that that experience, if you can think of experience as sort of like raining down on top of your character, like a flow of water or something, um, that that flow of experience turns the wheels of any water wheel that is in its path, right? And how many water wheels do you have on your character? Well, first of all, on your character, there is your level, which experience goes towards just a number that goes up. Um there is also a, a set of subclasses that you can pick. You can pick three classes, and then within those three classes, there are sub, two subclasses for each one that you can pick. Uh, and you can choose which subclass you're interested in after a certain point. But as you, uh, as experience rains down on your character, some of the wheels that turn are abilities within the subclass that you've chosen. Uh, and you start off with very few abilities, and you gain them. You know, depending on what subclass you pick, you gain more and more abilities. Uh, you gain them. They have these little circles, and the circles sort of slowly fill by having a little. Uh, outline get drawn around them till the outline completes the ring and then you filled in the entire circle that's why i always call it turning the wheels because they look like wheels right it's like it's like <laughs> right. a little you know a little circle it's slowly right so as 
you have a grid of circles for like your subclasses abilities and as you gain experience whatever subclass you have chosen at the time the experience rains down on your character those little wheels turn a little bit and one when a wheel turns completely then it turns solid green and you have this grid of wheels and then sometimes in, in a particular column on the grid you have to pick which are one of the circles you want and the circles could be like do you want to be able to jump higher do you want to be able to teleport from place to place do you want your uh, your giant projectile attack to split into three things do you want to do one thing and go longer you unlock those by filling the circles and then once they're unlocked you can choose among them so you can tailor your character's abilities this is all happening as you know experience points are raining down on you turning these wheels letting you fill them in and letting you pick among them right um experience also rains down on your items every one of your items has not levels but essentially levels a bunch of little circles that you that you fill that you turn your wheels every weapon every piece of armor has a bunch of circles on it that represent either an armor may just be increasing the the you know the, the quality of the armor so it you know deflects more damage or abilities when you fill this circle then now your armor has a special ability when you fill this circle now your gun has a chance to return any bullets that you missed back to the magazine and you fill this circle now you have some special ability that this gun actually regenerates ammo if you wait long enough like every weapon and piece of armor and every other thing you can have in the game has these circles on it and at the point when that experience rains down on your character it turns the wheels on all of those things this mechanic is i would say the primary thing that keeps people playing destiny mm -hmm. the idea that there are items in the game that if you have them make the game more fun for you to play and when just getting the items is not enough because you get the items like randomly dropped from doing a particular mission or whatever uh but once you get the item then you have to level the item and as you level the item you unlock these circles and you get to choose how you want to configure the item to match your style of gameplay that must be pretty addictive a lot of circles there's a lot of, it's like a 747 cockpit in there like the, but like there's just there's so many opportunities where like if you enjoy playing the game and you know that the game you enjoy playing you can play better as you fill in those circles i mean it must be hard to stop sometimes I mean, yeah, I mean, in a good way, like in the sense of it isn't like you get mm, like like you described Tetris or you, like a, a, a typical like arcade video game. The, the game gets harder, but it isn't like you become, you know, it isn't like your Vorpal Blade suddenly can do more. Like you're, you still have the same amount of skill. You're just grinding to get better at playing that game. Well, there's two aspects of it, like uh, leveling. The whole concept of leveling is just communism for gameplay, right? Or whatever you want. I'm probably picking the wrong system of government or whatever. It's, it's basically saying, like, it, just think of it in D&D. You don't get better at playing D&D. Your character levels up and suddenly you, you have new spells unlocked. Why couldn't you do those spells before? It's not as if you are better. And it's, it's kind of silly in a game like D&D. But in, in, in a, a first-person shooter game, because your character changed to level 2, you don't get better at running around and aiming at people. Like, it didn't make you better, but it made your character better. Maybe your gun does more damage now. Maybe you can move faster. Maybe you can jump higher. Maybe you have a new ability that's unlocked that helps you in the game, right? It is making the player more powerful in the game without requiring them to actually get better at playing the game so that's kind of the i don't know if communism is the right word but kind of like a leveling of like we don't require you to actually acquire any skills we're going to make you better in the game like imagine if you just had a gun that every time you pulled the trigger it immediately found whatever person was in front of you and killed them instantly like you hey i'm the best at this game ever all you're doing <laughs> is just pulling you know what i mean that's mm -hmm. that's obviously the extreme that would not be fun right but so that's one aspect of any game that has leveling it is leveling or items or anything else that makes you more powerful. It's letting you become more powerful without requiring you to actually get better at the game. And that is a really important thing to do if you want your game to be to have a lot of users. And 
Destiny had a budget of $500 million or something like that, and it's a game they plan on uh, enhancing for, like, the next 10 years, right? Right, right. So they can't have, like, it can't be a game like 10 people can play. Quake 3 Arena was not like that. Quake 3 Arena had no levels. Everyone was the same, and it was entirely determined by your skill. And Quake 3 Arena was a popular game, but these days a game like Quake 3 Arena would not fly because it was it was just brutal. Like, if you'd go into a game with a bunch of good players, nothing you can do. There's no leveling. There's no better gun that you can get. There's no better armor. It's like everyone's got access to all the exact same items in the game, uh, and all that determines how much fun you have playing or how successful you want to use your skill. Destiny is not like that. It is an MMO. It is an RPG. There is leveling. There is that thing that lets everyone have more fun. But this is the other aspect of the game because it is a first-person shooter. You can also get better at the game mm-hmm. with the same stuff. You just learn how to play. Like the videos I sent you of me running around in, in Crucible, which is their player versus player uh, mode of the game. I'm embarrassed by those videos now because that was back when I had a KD ratio that was below one, and I was terrible. And I would frequently get single-digit number of kills in a single. Like I was, I was very bad at the game. That I've come so far since then. That's another aspect of the game that I find enjoyable. I like getting better at games. I, hell, I like Quake 3 Arena. I like getting better at Quake 3 Arena. I like getting good enough to be able to play with people and not constantly get pasted. Uh, in Destiny, I am also getting much, much better at all aspects of the game. And it depends on what aspects you like. Do you like the part of the game where you do the story missions and you fight against big enemy monsters, where you're cooperating with up to six other people and all of you are fighting the big same monster, co- cooperating with each other? I haven't even gotten to that aspect of the game yet, but... Do you like the aspect of the game where you're competing against other people? One-on-one, a free-for-all, three-on-three, six-on-six? Do you like the ones where there are vehicles or missions or zones to control? There's lots of different kinds of gameplay in Destiny. And whatever kind of gameplay you like, you can do and you can get better at. And all the things you do, every one of those things that I named, has the potential to give you experience and items of different varieties. Every time you get experience, turns the wheels on whatever things you have. You can also do things that accrue experience, like bounties, and then turn them all in at once to dump all that experience onto whatever one thing you're trying to level. Okay, I, 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 get the, I get the MLM part now because, yeah, okay, that, make, that makes sense. And so the as you get better at playing the game, the game helps you in some ways get better at playing the game. And you're, you're getting better at the mechanics or, you know, the the decision making all that stuff but but having all of your items come along with you also provides more and more reason to like want to get better at it and keep playing and every time they give you an item uh you are excited to have the new item but then you know you also have to do the work required to unlock the abilities of that item some items can only be gotten through like quests or missions or you know uh, uh, bounties where you have to do some series of you know like hercules whatever his tasks or trials or whatever Mm -hmm. like you have to do a series of steps so that when you see someone else with that item, you know that they had to do that hard thing too. And it becomes a sort of a status symbol. And by the way, that item that you had to do that hard thing to get is actually a really good thing to have in the game. And only the people who could do that thing got it. You have to be careful with that because you don't want like some big super weapon that is better than all the other weapons in the game to be only accessible by like the top 1% of players who are really good because then they will just dominate the game and make it not fun for everybody else. All the while behind the scenes, Bungie, the company that makes this game, is constantly basically changing the rules of the game what what thing kind of things do you need to level a weapon it's not just experience there's also materials that have to go towards it and they keep changing what materials do you need where does this weapon or piece of armor drop what with what uh, percentage chance does it drop what do you need to get to the next level because at a certain point what they did and i think they're backpedaling this they stopped experience from leveling you up experience used to get you through level 1 through 20 and level 20 through 30 31 32 33 34 could only be acquired by getting items 
and leveling them. And those items had his other attributes. You know, you mentioned light before or when you were IMing me. Mm-hmm. had a certain amount of light. Those were like the light levels. You can only... Light, light is just, uh, roughly speaking, kind of like magic. It doesn't matter what it is. Like, they have a million materials. It really doesn't matter. They have different words for all of them. Suffice it to say that little circles need to be filled with certain types of things. And when you <laughs> fill all the circles, you get a certain other thing called light. And that contributes if you have, you know, four. if all your pieces of armor have 42 light, you're a level 34, right? So you have. So it's like kind of like the force. It's like a hand wavy, something special happens. It's entirely like a, a, you know, sort of like a currency type economy where they're trying to balance all the different kinds of currencies and they're trying to encourage you to do certain activities. So if you need ascendant shards, the only place you can get ascendant shards is in the Vault of Glass raid, then people are going to do the Vault of Glass because you need ascendant (laughs) shards to get to level the item that you like it. And it's it's talk about, you know, an economy of one currency is hard enough. They're trying to make an economy with dozens of currencies for all the different classes, for all the different weapons, for all the different missions you can get them on. And they're constantly changing what the currencies are, making one currency defunct, making you be able to exchange one kind of currency for another. It's not currency. They're, they're resources or items. So they're basically currency inside the game. They're constantly tweaking it. This is kind of a game of the modern age. All MMOs are really where the people who make the game, they don't just make a game and put it out there and go, all right, here's the game. We may have fun with it. It has changed so radically from a year ago when it was released, and it's going to change even more radically in the second year. They're trying to keep the game fun for everybody, both the people who have been playing for the entire year and new players, because they want to get out the parts that are difficult. Like, oh, after I got to level 20, I spent a long time in the mid-20s finding difficulty leveling because what I needed to get to uh, increase level after that was a certain item, and I couldn't get that item because it randomly drops in this thing that takes two hours to play. You know, and and they they will see that and say we need to make it so there are fewer dead spots where you do things that are not fun, where you feel like I'm stuck at level 21, 22. I can't get up into 30s. If I'm not level 30, I can't do any of the raids because they're gated for the level 30 players. And I don't. And I keep playing the I same missions we went up over to and over level again. 20. That's what experience leveling can do. Then you have the light levels where the items that you get have a certain amount of light, and your total amount of light pushes you up to the next level. Are you at that kind of level? Uh, everyone who plays the game is at max level at this point. Yeah, I'm. Okay. I, 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 it took me a long time to get to 32 because to get to 32, I needed a certain number of items from raids, and raids require six people to play. Oh, and that's why that's why you wanted to fight Emil Zola, right? That's that's not actually a raid, but yeah, like it, it's hard but to you, find. But, like, but the missions, it sounds like there's a thing like you go to a beacon and like you get you get a mission, and then there's experience points and exposure to things like the exotic armor and things like that. You have more opportunities to find stuff and get the experiences. Like yeah, it's the total package. And these and these rules, like of where do I, where does this drop, where does that come from? Like they don't explain all the stuff that I just explained to you. It's not explained in the game. It's not explained that, like, by the way, when you turn in bounties, that's when the experience, that's when you get the experience for them. Not when you completed the bounties, but when you turn them in. So when you turn in the bounties, make sure you have weapons equipped that you want that experience to land on. If you accidentally turn in five bounties and you and you realize you had completely oh. leveled weapons equipped, that experience points didn't turn any of the wheels because you forgot to equip the right weapons. And by the way, you can only have one exotic weapon cl- equipped at a time. So if you want to level an exotic, you can't level two of them at once. Uh, if you want to, if you have some crappy armor, maybe you equip that when you turn in your bounty so that you can... So there's a level of, like, something between strategy and economics to how you do this stuff. It is very much economics. But then within the individual missions, there's lots of strategy. So you go through level 1 through 20, and then you somehow get through 20 through 30 by getting the items that you can equip. And then eventually, I forget what it was gated at 30 originally, but eventually you get to do the what people call the end game. Uh, the raids and uh, the things you... Uh, talking about before with skull ospreys and of elders uh the end game are missions that do not give you any experience to do they only but they give you the best kind of items that can potentially drop during them 
and they are the most complicated and the longest. They usually missions the raids require six people, a six person team. I mean, you can do it with fewer, but up to six people. You all have to cooperate, and it's really complicated. That you don't just go and shoot things. You have to coordinate your actions amongst multiple people. They have all these sort of mechanisms in the thing. You have to stand here and then stand on that and defend yourself against these things and get this person across the bridge to over there. And and, and, and just just to clarify, if one or two people die in that party, do they come back? Depends on the mode. Sometimes it's a thirty second wait before they can be revived by a teammate. Sometimes if they die, that's it, and they don't come back until and the next checkpoint. And if you get the right magics, you can bring yourself back. Is that right? Mm-hmm. You have some some classes that will self resurrect. So you need certain. You need to build a party, sort of like D anD D, where you have to have somebody who has the big shield bubble okay. thing, and somebody who has self resurrect, and somebody who can turn invisible, and you have to sort of build a team out of people who can accomplish the mission. And again, accomplishing the mission doesn't give you any experience. This is the end game thing. But mm-hmm. a raid can take anywhere from like. 40 minutes to multiple hours depending on how you're doing and they are by far the most fun out of the game some people say like you're not even actually playing destiny until you get to the raids and to get to level 30 takes many many hours of of playing um and that's some of the best you know the most fun gaming i've had is playing those raids even though i've played there's only two raids it was only i think was there one raid in the beginning and then they added two and there's not a lot of raids i've played the raids that are there many many times it's difficult to play them at all because you you know talk about can't you think you could coordinate uh, you know, six people to be all online at the same time and all to be able to dedicate a, a potentially multi-hour chunk of time, uninterrupted multi-hour chunk, because by the way, like any MMO, it's always online and there's no pause in this game. If your kid comes and they want a drink of water, you cannot pause the game. You just got to put the controller down and walk away knowing full well that you are leaving your controller totally idle and you're probably going to be dead in, in three seconds, right? <laughs> there's no pause, right? So that's why it's more of a lifestyle because people... Uh, God, that's, it would take me forever to continue to explain this. But there, there, there are there are events that happen every week. There are different missions that you can do. There's the weekly heroic strike. There's the there's the nightfall strike, which lasts a week. There's different types of things that they incentivize you to do, and those reset on a regular schedule. And each time you do them, you can get a certain number of guaranteed rewards and a certain number of random rewards. And you can have up to three characters. So some people, the real lifestyle people have three characters because that's the maximum you can have one of each one of each of each major class right and they run through all of the things all of the regular weekly things with all three characters they run through the weekly with all three characters because each of the three characters can get can get the guaranteed weekly rewards (laughs) it's like having more bingo cards or something it's totally exactly the same thing right and they they, money is pooled between all three characters items are pooled between all three characters so even if these people are smart that's evil wow And, and they run, I mean, this is the lifestyle that I do not choose, because I, I have one character. I mean, I do have three, but I only play with one, and my son is it, play with a, You have a hunter? No, come on. Titan? No. Warlock. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by MailRoute. You can learn more about MailRoute right now by visiting mailroute.net slash diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. Email is a huge part of our life and work, but believe me, friends, it is not without its downsides. If you get a lot of email right now, you already know how much of it is just pure junk, and MailRoute wants to help you with that. MailRoute is a service for filtering email that is run by exactly the type of people you'd hope, obsessively driven email nerds who do nothing but email nerdery. They are really good at it. MailRoute is the real deal, and they take your email even more seriously than you do. So try to imagine with me. Imagine a world without spam, without viruses, without bounced email. Imagine opening your inbox and seeing only the legitimate email that you want and need to receive. This is what you'll get with MailRoute. They've been the most reliable team in email protection since 1997. So if you have your own domain, regardless of who hosts it, MailRoute can help. There's no hardware or software to install or maintain. 
MailRoute simply receives your email, sorts it, and delivers only the clean stuff to your mail server. MailRoute can help you save money on hardware, bandwidth, and other precious resources because they take care of it all. It's easy to set up and maintain, and it's trusted by tons of large universities and corporations. Heck, even ACM, the world's largest and oldest governing body for computer sciences, uses MailRoute for their email protection. It's a pretty big deal. As a MailRoute desktop user, you're in control through an interface that's simple, sane, and effective. And if you're an email admin or an IT pro, don't panic because MailRoute has built all of their tools with you in mind. They even have an API for easy account management. MailRoute supports LDAP, Active Directory, TLS, Mailbagging, Outbound Relay, everything you'd want from the people handling your mail. So to remove, remove spam from your life for good, do me a favor. Go to MailRoute.net slash diffs. And that'll get you a free trial plus 10% off for the lifetime of your account. And a lifetime is indeed a very long time. I checked on Wikipedia. Our thanks to MailRoute for bringing sanity and civility back to our inbox and for supporting reconcilable differences. Human female warlock. And she is awesome. Um, uh, straight on human, not the uh, blue people. Yeah, not the Awoken, not okay. an XO. Uh, but I have an Awoken Hunter and an Exo Titan. Exo Titan was my son's the Awoken Hunter I haven't even played with. But anyway, playing with all three characters, it's exactly like having multiple bingo cards. Or like the people in Vegas playing multiple slot machines. That's probably a better analogy. You know, they're like lined up in front of three of them and trying to play multiple ones at once. They're going through every mission multiple times to get all the potential rewards. That's a lifestyle because the amount of time and dedication to do the and you know you need multiple people to do some of these things so they are sort of pooled together. It's time for us to all do the nightfall. I can't solo it. I need a team of two or three people. Let's do the nightfall. Okay, let's do the nightfall again with our second character. Let's do the nightfall again with our third character. In the raids, uh, you, there are checkpoints between the sort of you know the the, the so action set pieces. There are checkpoints where you can hang out and you can go back to orbit and come back in with another character to come to that checkpoint to to loot the chests that are there with all your different characters. I can't. I don't have that kind of time. Very few people do, but a lot of the people who do it were seems like even of, having a second character. What's the word I'm looking for? Logarithmic. Like it seems like there's so much complexity to this. It would be almost like having a small business. And there's a big time investment. It just takes a long time. Which to is, do I mean, these just to things. arrange all of the people to be able to make all of those pieces click, and then all the organizational stuff to have your your stuff in the right place at the right time. It just it sounds like this is very immersive. And some of the people who do this have like like every item in the game that you can get like they've played the game enough with all their characters that everything that you can get in the game they have like they're eventually they're essentially become completionist collectors do i have every single exotic gun in the game fully leveled yes i do except for this one that's random and you know as you get towards 80 percent, 90 percent completion of some particular collectible then you're just waiting for the random number generator to drop the one thing you don't need as it drops. You know, it's it amazes me the number of hours people must invest in. And the game will tell you this, by the way. This is another innovation of the game. There's an it's a public API, so there's a bunch of websites out there where you can, including the official game websites, but there are a bunch of public websites and a bunch of like iOS apps and web apps and Chrome extensions that can show you information. One of the stats they tell you is how many hours you've played the game. And most people do not want to look at that number because <laughs> it is a really, really high, surprisingly high number. Uh, for this game and again this is not a subscription game you buy the game once for 60 bucks every expansion is like 30 to 40 bucks and there's been a couple of expansions so far uh but in terms of you know bang for your buck for the people who play this game for the lifestyle type people they're playing hundreds or thousands of hours for you know a hundred or so dollars or a couple hundred dollars of entertainment it's a, it's a pretty good deal um i put skull in here and i realize we're probably over time on this so i can't really get no into no it, take, take all the time you want 
the the thing I did recently, uh, the most recent expansion that came out included something that wasn't really a raid, but it was a slightly different type of thing called the Prison of Elders, where it was a series of arenas where you go in with with a team of three people and you are the 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 framing devices is a prison and you go in and, the, and you have to fight all these prisoners or whatever so they send you against the different types of enemies so go into this arena and fight this type of enemy go into that arena and fight this type of enemy and there's a boss type thing at the end of a series of battles in between each battle you come back to a central region and take a rest and each set of enemies have different modifiers for you know in this in this battle this weapon will do extra damage and this weapon will be stunted in this battle you know like this uh the the if you get punched it does extra damage uh you know and then the bosses have different things like this boss will make the floor hot for a couple seconds you have to jump in the air when he does that and and this boss you know uh, turns invisible for a certain period of time or can only be damaged by this thing or whatever there's all sorts of rules um so it's a series of battles there's no checkpointing in it so you have to do the series of battles. You have to kind of sit down, do one battle after the other. If you have to go to the bathroom or, or take a drink or something, you can pause in the middle part before everyone goes out again. That's fine. But you can't really, like, let's pick this up tomorrow night unless everyone's going to leave their things paused. It'll probably boot you out if you did that. Um, and the most difficult one, they have that the Prison of Elders thing at different levels. You can do Prison of Elders level 28, where all the enemies are level 28. You can do it at... at uh, 32, 34, and, and 35, I think. And as you go up in levels, it obviously becomes more difficult. And 35 is the most difficult one because the maximum level for players is currently 34. So you're fighting characters that are all one level higher than you, and everything is the hardest. And so in Prison of Elders uh, level 35, uh, that was the one thing I hadn't done. One of the other things they incentivize you with was like uh, some sort of year one checklist of like hey have you done all these things you'll get a special emblem an in-game thing that shows that you've done all this stuff for people who are playing destiny for the first year of its existence and i when they introduced that feature i looked at it and i realized i had every single circle already filled except for this one so i said <laughs> i should do this i should do this one it's incentivizing me to play the game i would never have tried level 35 prison of elders if they hadn't done this thing and given you this emblem but now it's like well i'm one thing away because i just always thought i wouldn't be able to do level 35 that it was too difficult for me There's a lot of stuff in the destiny that i was like like that, that bounty I was talking about before, that you have to do this complex series of steps. I'm like, well, I'm never going to be able to do that because I'm no good at this at playing Crucible against people, so I'm not even going to attempt that bounty. Eventually, you said, you know what? Maybe I could do that bounty. It's like aspirational. Someday I might be able to do this. Anyway, Love of 35, uh, Prison of Elders. It is a series of very difficult battles. you got to do it with uh, you know a group of three people. Okay, so quickly, um, and I'm the dumb guy. Um, a difficult battle. That's something where if, if you, this is not Dragon's Lair, there's, there's more to it than that. Like several things have to go well in order for you to win. Is it because you're overwhelmed? Is it because they're faster? Like what is it that makes this hard but still feel challenging but doable? In the raids, there's a lot of objective type things where you have to have one person standing on this plate and one person standing on that plate. And then uh, a third person can kill this enemy, take this item, and run across the bridge. And then the item will respawn, and someone <laughs> really? else has to kill it's like, it. It's like the fox and the chicken and the grain? Yeah, but, but only the entire time people are shooting at you, trying to kill you. <laughs> so <laughs> usually, like, there's there's a bunch of, like, you know, sort of board mechanics of, like, what do you have to do in the world? What kind of enemies? Like, one of the things you have to shoot oracles, which are these little circles that appear in hidden locations. And if you don't kill them within a certain number of seconds, your whole team is killed. Um, so... Basically, they give you a series of objectives that they don't explain to you that well. Uh, like the first time anyone does any of these raids, they're just trying to figure out what do we have to do? Why do we keep dying or whatever? And it will just say these obscure things, you know, uh, on the screen that it explains that your entire team was killed. Um, you're trying to do these objectives. At the same time, 
enemies that vastly outnumber you are trying to kill you so what you're trying to do is stay alive but also continue to do the objectives in prison of elders you're mostly massively outnumbered by a tremendous number of enemies you've always massively outnumbered uh and you know they're they're computer controlled enemies so they're not that smart but there's a lot of them and some of them can kill you in one or two shots from their gun and so you have to figure out how to deal with them. But uh, then there's like one guy that can do the Hulk thing where he hits the ground and everything shakes. I mean, the, all the different kind of alien or whatever the baddies, there's there's different races who have yeah, different yeah. capabilities and yeah. that'll change based on where you are. Yeah, different different sets of aliens, essentially. They all have different names and within each, uh, you know, race of aliens, there's all different types. There's the big guy, the skinny guy, the fast guy, the, you know, like the races have particular characters and within the races, there's different classes of things. You have to know how to deal with different Jesus. kinds of enemies. Um but yeah, what makes it difficult is you keep dying. You're, you're, I mean, you're just explaining to. it to me, and it feels overwhelming. Yeah, I'm again. I'm not even hitting the, the tip of the iceberg. It's a tremendous. Uh, again, the, I think it was you who said like, "Is there a tremendous amount I can know about this topic?" No, right. De- yeah, yeah. Destiny. <laughs> Destiny is definitely one of those things. And so, in yeah, prison but a lot of, of that. I mean, just again to clarify, I, I, obviously we don't want to call it a puzzle necessarily, but there's an element of you have to. You, you, I know you like things. You have to figure out. Like part of part of the fun for you is figuring out like how the system works. It's not. It's not it's not a uh, one-to-one easy understanding thing. It takes time with the game to really get what all these things mean, what the relationships are, what the consequences are. That's interesting in the internet age because it used to be when you were sitting there with like the original Legend of Zelda and you just had the little map and the booklet that it came with. It was just you, Nintendo Power, and gossip with your friends in the lunchroom. Yeah, like maybe maybe a monthly newsletter. I mean, like there's yeah. there's not anywhere you could go that would help you understand that world. Right. And so now in the internet age, you're like, well, isn't this all moot now? Because some person is going to figure out the entire game, write it all up, uh, and then people will just go to that website and learn all about it, and that'll be it. Uh, and I think Destiny has found a way to be interesting and relevant uh, because there's just so much to know that even though all this information is absolutely 100% available on the internet, the number of people who play the game and are willing to just do like hours of research on the net to find out every detail is pretty small. Like you run into people who play the game regularly but don't know basic things about the game because they can't they're not interested in like I need to go research this and find out. They they're interested in sort of not figuring it out as they go along, but they hear from their friends, like kind of like the old lunchroom way. Did you know that if you know if if you shoot a shank with the Vex Mythical not with the Vex Mythical class, but the uh uh, Vestian Dynasty, it doesn't explode. If you shoot the exploder shanks, it doesn't explode, it just vaporizes. <laughs> no, I didn't know that. That's really good because I keep buying, dying from those exploder shanks because they're right in front of me and I shoot them and they explode and they do damage and I die. Did you know you can shoot the gun turret off the tank? Like, all these things you can look up. You can watch YouTube videos But I mean, like, you know, doing. the point is it's a game and it's fun and it would be like meeting somebody who decides to get good at chess. Not because they love chess, but because they, they want to learn enough tricks that they could win easy games it it isn't the same thing as spending a lot of time playing people who are good at it because you genuinely love the experience of playing and it's fun to hear it's fun to talk in the lunchroom about did you know that if you blow up this wall and this thing in zelda you find this item or if you go through like it's fun to sort of trade gossip about the game so there are different levels the people who are hardcore into the game know everything about the game know all the statistics about everything know all the secrets know all the little corners and their fun thing is like every time some new part of a game comes out is to go seek out all those videos and find out all the things about it. Other people are just, you know, more interested in, they're interested in all these things and they want to know how to do this, but they're not going to spend an hour watching videos because they're not, they'd much rather just hang out with their friends and talk, again, with all these things where you're playing multiplayer, you're talking with them over a headset because you have to, you have to talk to coordinate your actions in the game and everything. 
and discussing different strategies and how to do things. And maybe if you get desperate, you go watch a YouTube video of a strategy and maybe you watch some guy's strategy that's a crappy strategy that you can't pull off because you don't have the right uh, number of characters or coordination or whatever. Um, but anyway, so this the level 35 Skolas thing. It's a series of fairly long, difficult battles. I When I was doing this one, I knew I needed people to come with me, right? And it's I don't have a regular group of people I play with. I have people, a, a large rotating group that comes on and off, but most of them play much more regularly than I do. Um, some of them are people you might know. Uh, some of them are just this, random this, people. Does uh, inc- include Jesse? Yes. Okay. Uh, but I, I knew for level 35 Skolas, I was like, look, I've never done it at all. So I am a complete newbie at, at, at uh, level 35 Skolas. I've done Prison of Elders on, on 28 many times, on 32 a couple times. That was it. So I put out, you know, I put out uh, the word on Twitter, hey, does anyone want to come help me do uh, level 35 Skolas? And I said I was looking for... Uh, experts basically people who had done level 35 skolas before uh, of which i know there are tons of them and people with a particular item that i do not have uh gallahorn yes i still don't have mine um that is very (laughs) important uh very useful to have basically in the entire game and really i should have one by now but i don't um so i asked for people with gallahorns who are uh level 35 skolas experts and i figured with me having a lot of followers, the only people who are going to reply are people who have some confidence in their ability. Like if you're if you're kind of iffy, you're not going to volunteer to like, oh, I'll come and play with you because you don't want to embarrass yourself not being good at it. I knew I was going to be the weakest link in whatever team we make, right? But I just wanted I wanted the best chance of doing this. So I'm like, look, if I if the the lingo speaking of uh, business speak, the lingo in in Destiny for this is carrying somebody, either dragging them through a mission or carrying them through a mission, where you take someone who is lower skilled or lower level than you in both. And you bring them through a mission so they can get the rewards, even though you know they couldn't have done it on their own or with another team of equally skilled people. So I put out that call, got some responses. Uh, two people joined up. We connected. Um, I think it was like 9 o'clock at night when we started my time, which is when I tend to do things. When the kids are all in bed, I've got like a, a set of time set down. We're going to do level 35 Skolas, right? Two people who I had never met before. Like, I, you know, I've maybe seen on Twitter or whatever. Basically strangers. Um hooked up we went through the early levels you know kind of you know talking to each other feeling out how we're doing like the early levels were difficult we had to redo a couple of them a few times because uh you know i I had never played them at all before and we just died a few times then we got to the boss battle which is the battle against skolas um and this this gameplay sequence with with two people who i've never met in real life who i just met that day on twitter was one of the better gaming experiences I've had. A lot of the times I've, I've done some raids that have been great with a group of people who I actually have come to know, uh, and those have been great as well. But this level 35 Skolas thing felt epic to me because from the time I sat down to the time I actually did successfully complete this mission with these two other people was five hours. Oh, my God. So five hours for my first run on this thing, Mostly because we but kept that, but, dying but, on the but final they're, they're, battle. But they're they're all spending five hours on that. Yes. So all all three of us across the country sat down at like nine o'clock and like at two or three a.m. or whatever the hell it was, uh, we eventually did it. And that final battle, I'll just explain to you a couple of the mechanics that are involved to see how it might be fun. So first of all, again, you're you're talking with people, you're playing a game, you're all looking at your own screens, you're talking to each other over the headsets. That type of gameplay, if you've never done it before, is surprisingly fun, sort of cooperative game where it's you and a bunch of people you're talking to against a common enemy, coordinating your actions. You're, I mean, dumb question. You're not, like, in character, right? No. Okay. Uh, although you could be. Sometimes in World of Warcraft, people do that. Destiny is not that type of game. I've never seen it done here. I don't think it would... It's, would lend itself to that 
Uh, you're playing. Sometimes it feels like the joke is that you are battling the game's designers because <laughs> the players are constantly trying to find ways to break the mechanics and systems of the game to make it easier. Uh, like one of the popular things is finding cheeses or cheese spots where if there's a particular mission where you know if you just hide in this little corner, the enemies can't shoot you, but you can shoot them and you can just sit there and at your leisure slowly pick off every single enemy in the game. And the game designers do not like that and they fix that. Um, and some people just don't like doing cheeses, period. Like the people say, I don't want to do cheeses unless I want to do it straight up. I want to do it for real because that's more fun to do. And it depends on what kind of group you want to go with. Um, as far as I'm aware, there aren't any cheeses in the, in the, the Skull Lost 35 battle. It helps if the modifiers are favorable. If it's solar burn, that means your Galahorn's going to take his uh, health down much quicker and everything. We had an unfavorable set of modifiers, one of which was light switch, which means that melee attacks from enemies do a tremendous amount of damage, so a single punch from a lowly enemy could kill you dead on the spot, which is a real bummer. Um, <laughs> so, so the early mechanic in this game is you can't damage the boss at all until you kill these other ancillary enemies that are powering his shield, which is fine. Um, uh, quick quick question. Uh, so mm-hmm. if you're an hour or two into the game and you, you've been banging along, uh, what, what can happen that just stops the the mission at that point is there are there things i mean apart from people just like you know hanging up their thing and going to sleep like are there things that happen like where just everybody dies and you have to start over over another day depends on the particular mission nightfalls for example their big thing is that if goal is 35 like well does does that happen 35 what happens is it's cut up into segments you know different arena battles right if you if all the people on your team die in a particular arena battle you have to start that arena battle over but you don't start the whole thing oh okay okay right did that so, happen on the way for you? Yeah. So we, like I said, we died several times in like the third or fourth arena battle and had to redo that a couple of times. But we okay. spent most of our time on the final boss battle, which every time all of us died, we started that that whole boss battle sequence over again. And the sequence is basically like, you know, kill the things that are, that are uh, you know, containing his shield, take his health down to a certain point. These are things that people have learned on the internet that I, I, I looked up before I went in this so I would know something. Like, at what percentage of health does the next sequence of this battle begin well when you get him down to 50 percent help this next thing happens but the the most important thing that happens in the skull loss battle is at certain points you have this thing called devouring essence where a random player is sort of marked for death um they are they're they actually they glow green or whatever and you uh, and there's like a countdown timer right and they w- when this happens uh if they don't do anything and just wait, whatever it is, like, you know, 30 seconds or I forget what the timer is, at the end of that sequence, they die, right? And, and that's bad. Um, the only way that they can avoid dying is to pass the Devouring Essence to another player on their team. After they pass the Devouring Essence to the other player, they cannot receive the Devouring Essence for another 40 seconds. So I think it's like 30 and 40 seconds. So play, player number one gets it. The countdown timer goes, he can see the countdown timer and basically says, when this countdown timer reaches zero, you you player are going to die, which is bad for your team. Um, if, you know, before the countdown expires, you want to give the devouring essence to someone else. As soon as you give it, so player one gives it to player two. As soon as player one gives it to player two, player one can't have the devouring essence again for 40 seconds. Player two is going to have to give it to somebody in 30 seconds, Right. So player two can't give it back to player one. You can't just trade it between two players because by the time player two has got to get rid of it, player one still got 10 seconds of immunity left. <laughs> they can't take it back. Wow. So player two has to give it to player three. Then player three, when his timer expires, can only give it to player one because player two will still have 10 seconds of immunity left, right? 
And I think those are the actual numbers, 30 seconds, then 40 seconds worth of immunity. So essentially you have to pass this devouring essence among your team in a prescribed order to a specific player or that player dies. If you die with a devouring essence, you can be revived after 30 seconds or something if your team can get back to you or you can self-revive. But at some point, Skullos will just apply, give the devouring essence to a random player again and starting the mechanic. So this is the type of thing where you're running around trying to damage the enemy, trying to survive, trying to run around the arena, kill enemies, do damage to the boss. There's other phases where there are mines you have to dismantle. There's a lot of things they added in Prison of Elders to keep you from hiding in one little spot. And one of the ones is like mines you have to dismantle. You have to go out into the arena. You have to dismantle the mines by standing beneath them for long enough for them to be dismantled. Then you have to go to the next mine, go to the next mine. While you're doing this, you are passing the devouring essence from one to that with, with basically a couple you know seconds of precision because you basically, when you have 10 seconds left, it's time to consider passing that thing off to somebody. And very often you're passing the devouring essence while you are running frantically through the level shooting things. It's kind of like doing a mid-air refueling you know, with the, the airplanes that fly up under the other airplane and get the, the fuel from the thing, you are running, you are shooting, you are passing devour answers, you are coordinating this action all among you, all the while trying to run through and defuse mines and avoid the enemies. Uh, and what's making it difficult is because you keep dying. You you fail to pass the devouring essence. You passed it, but while you were passing it, you were killed by enemies. You're trying to run through and defuse the mines, but when you went out to the mill arena, 100 enemies descended on you and killed you, right? Or you died, and the two people are left, and they have the devouring essence, but they can't get back to you in time to revive you to pass you the devouring essence, and the devouring essence kills both of them. Yikes. Uh, but this, this gameplay experience of discussing with people, talking with people about who's got the essence, who needs to hand it off, what, what's our next objective, what do we need to do, where should we hide, should we relocate now, which enemies should we take out or whatever, that is a fun gameplay experience. It's fun for me because I like first-person shooters, because I like the coordination thing, because I just like, it makes memories for yourself. You make some, you know, you have, me- I will always remember that level 35 skull ice mission because we did it so many freaking times, of how eventually we became not a well-oiled machine, but a kind of like a workable machine for, you know, on the seventh or eighth try in Skolos, we kind of had a system down and then it was just all about execution. And it was like, it's like rehearsal and practice and executing. And, and again, I was the weak link on that team for the most part because I had never done it before. But the people I was playing with were great and very patient with me, which is, you know, another thing you have a bad rep about games where people are just cursing at you and, and uh, right. saying terrible things. But in my experience, if you play with a bunch of, basically just play with a bunch of old people or dads, or other you know cool people friendly nice willing to help people who have never played before willing to share tips about the game share strategy share knowledge and help each other play those two random strangers helped me through this mission and like they spent five hours of their life doing it. and they'd all done it before they weren't gonna you know get anything like well they were gonna get something but uh it wasn't like they needed to do it for the first time either it wasn't like they needed it for their thing it was just doing it because they were nice right um so yeah that why would someone keep going back to playing a game of destiny it's because there's so much there. It's like an amusement park. If I'm in the mood for player versus player, if I'm in the mood for a story mission, if I'm in the mood for trying to acquire an item and level it up, if I'm in the mood for one of these grand, you know, the raids or the prison of elders, I find all those things fun at different times. I can sit down and do them. When I sit down and do them, you can find a group of people and there are websites to coordinate groups of people. If you don't know anybody, you can just go there and enter your name into a hat and other people say, Hey, who wants to do this mission right now and, and join up with them. Uh, and have a good time playing a game and it sounds silly but like make memories for yourself or you will remember it, this to non-gamers it sounds weird that you remember uh doing something in a game the same way you would remember uh i don't know like a family vacation or that one time you went hang gliding i think people have similarly strong memories about doing something fun especially with other people especially in a group uh, like a social type thing 
and accomplishing something you didn't think you could accomplish through teamwork, coordination, perseverance, and skill. Uh, and all of that being piled on top of the only reason I was able to do this at all is because of this character that I had built up over the past year with all the items and attributes and skills that I have chosen and selected and practiced that. So I'm good at this and shaped my character to this thing. And then I filled this role on this team that helped us accomplish. And our team, I think, was I the only warlock? I think I might have been the only warlock. So I was the only one who had self-revive. And we had someone who had a bubble, I think, uh, who was the titan. And we had uh, a hunter who could turn invisible to sneak out and revive people. Like, we did this thing. Uh, together as a team and it's a memorable experience well and i think about what did i get what did i pay for that i paid 60 dollars plus 30 dollars plus 30 plus the cost of the playstation well worth it in terms of the entertainment value i've gotten out of it and trying to explain like i'm trying to explain it to you it doesn't make much sense but trying to explain that to someone who just sees a screenshot of someone running around with a gun sticking out of the middle of the screen and putting the crosshair on someone and shooting them does not explain any part of this game that makes people come back to it's going to make people play this thing for the next 10 years well, it definitely, well, it's more interesting than I expected. Um, but also it helps explain your admonition about the difference between how a video game is not a movie and you can't just watch somebody play. Now, I understand that remark more, you know, sort of underscoring what you say about kind of creating a memory. Like this is an actual experience. Like you you went through this and you, and you, you did this thing. So that definitely makes more sense. But also the way you describe the, um, oh, I'm on a site here. What am I looking at? The... Um, uh, what is it called? The Devouring Essence. Uh, where, where that has to become a little bit like uh, compulsory jazz. Like, you, you have to cooperate with the other people. I, I like the idea of these different kinds of um, tropes of the game being things that that limit it in ways that make the game and the player more interesting. You know what I mean? Where, like you say, I mean, and actually a lot of my questions about this are more about kind of the future and where this goes from here. But like that, that I can, I can totally understand that, that, that completely, that completely makes sense. And, you know, and like, how often do you have the chance to meet a bunch of strangers and like create an experience like that? That must've been a really great thing. Yeah. And, you know, sort of these groups that form around, like I know this person and they know that person, but then, you know, friends of friends of friends, like the circles get bigger. Like there's, there's a, there is social, not social pressure, but there's like, there's reasons for people to get together because at a certain point in the week, everyone wants to do the nightfall. Everyone is looking for someone to do the nightfall. Who out there hasn't done the nightfall? Have you not done your nightfall with your Titan? I'm ready to do the nightfall. Let's do the nightfall together. You both want to do it. You both want to cooperate with each other and you both want to get the reward at the end. Or even what I find myself playing a lot is I play a lot of Crucible because like I said, having played Quake 3 Arena on Real Tournament, I like the player versus player experience where you are shooting at other players. I usually do the ones that are, you know, control where you have zones that you're trying to control and it's six person team versus six person team. So it's still kind of cooperative, but I don't do voice chat in that because you don't really need to. Everyone knows what the objectives are. It's a much simplified game. Mm -hmm. Some people don't like player versus player at all. They hate that. They don't want to do it at all. They're very bad at it because most people are very bad at it in the beginning. Uh, it's it's very difficult. It re requires the largest amount of sort of skill. I don't even, this is the first console first person shooter I've ever played because I don't like playing with thumbsticks. I like a mouse and a keyboard, mm -hmm. but this is only a console game. So I have to play with thumbsticks. So in the beginning, I was just awful at this game. It took me a long time to try to get, you know, somewhat respectable at the game. But I like doing that. I like going into the game and practicing and getting better. And that, you know, like I said, I, these videos we'll put in the show notes of me playing. You can, like, I look back at them now and I say, boy look how lousy that guy was i am you know with the same character with the same abilities or whatever i am now much much better at the game um yeah and like like i said so, so if you don't want to play that type of game some people only play crucible they don't do the raids and they just do enough of the other part of the game to get themselves leveled up and by the way in crucible there are different modes 
most of the time leveling advantages are disabled because it would be kind of unfair if someone comes in and they're mm-hmm. like a higher yeah. level than you and get to kill everybody else like oh level two people wouldn't be able to have you know or level i think they gate crucible level 12 or whatever that would be unfair um so they they want to level things out there like leveling advantages are disabled gun advantages are mostly disabled where kind of all of a particular class of guns are treated equally within certain parameters where you're just changing on them on rate of fire and reload and stuff like that but the damage done by them is not uh way out of whack with each other but then they have like monthly i think it is or every couple of weeks they have an event called iron banner where suddenly all your level and item advantages do count in in the iron banner specifically and you accrue points during iron banner and have dedicated bounties and get certain items and so that's an opportunity for the people who have spent a long time playing the other part of the game to get these all awesome items to go in there and to have okay i'm level 34 and i have you know a, a 365 damage thorn i am a force to be reckoned with compared to somebody who is like level 30 and has a bunch of blue weapons um that's you know if you don't like that don't play iron banner but if you do like it like there's some you know these sort of timed events and there's always something for everybody to be doing whatever you're interested in there's something that can grab you and i love iron banner i like that that i feel like is a reward to me if like i played the rest of this game i did all this stuff i got these items i leveled them i am at maximum level now finally uh, that can pay off because then you're going against other people and all that stuff counts and so the lesser people you can kind of mow down more easily but then you're against other people who are also highly leveled so you're more likely to run into people who are good at playing the game this episode of reconcilable differences is brought to you in part by hover gosh i love hover because hover is quite simply the best way to buy and manage domain names full stop the best place out there for buying a domain name. It's easily my favorite place for doing stuff with that domain name once it's yours. Hover provides a simple, fast, hassle-free method of buying domain names. You don't want to be faced with a thousand screens, a ton of add-ons, and those super high, weird mystery meat prices. Registering a domain at some of these places feels like you're running a gauntlet, and you do not get that with Hover. They treat you like a grown-up. You just enter the phrase you want or some keywords, and Hover will find the best matches for you and show you a list of all the available top-level domains. Now, of course, Hover has all the TLDs you'd expect, stuff like .com, .co, and .me, but they also have all of those totally banana balls new TLDs like .florist, .boutique, and .vacations. Hover has recently lowered the prices on pretty much all of the 200-plus options they have. For example, right now, .com domains are just $12.99. And remember, that low price you pay still covers who is privacy for free on any account that will allow it. They believe that you should keep your information to yourself and they make that part of the product. It's a fantastic bit that Hover covers for you. Hover also has fantastic customer support. They have a no hold, no wait, no transfer telephone support policy. And that means when you call Hover for help, an actual human will answer the phone and talk to you for as long as is needed to fix your problem. They also have great online help if you don't like talking to people. Totally understandable. Oh, they have so much more great stuff. Volume discounts, all the great stuff. Volume discounts, bulk domain renewal. You can get custom email addresses, extra storage and forwarding, so much more great stuff on Hover.com. So if you're in the market for some sweet new domains or you're ready to move your domains that you own right now someplace that treats you a little bit more like an adult, please try Hover. You can get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for reconcilable differences by going to Hover.com and using the special code CORRECTIONS at checkout. That code is CORRECTIONS. Our thanks to Hover for making pretty much everything about domains a breeze and for supporting reconcilable differences. One of the things that grabbed me when you first said, it kind of kind of passed me by the first time you said it, something about, we were talking about video games in general, and you said, or something like, 
um, I think you said Destiny in particular, which had a $500 million budget. And I, I guess I've seen a couple things that say, well, maybe it wasn't exactly $500 million, but that, that really grabbed me. Like, they must have a strategy for how this thing is going to spin out. So part two, the whole idea of this being something that they want to spin out over 10 years is a really fascinating idea to me um, in a number of ways. Because, for example, like, you know, in order to keep the people who are playing interested, there has to be something that makes those 35-level people want to keep going, but it can't be inscrutable or, you know, impossible for people who are new. While at the same time, I guess like a franchise movie series or a TV series, you know, you have to kind of wonder how they'll keep it interesting at an even higher level over the years. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, so many people talk about how the, you know, second or th- second year or third year of a, sh- of a TV show is when it tends to get really good. And, you know, by the fifth or sixth year, it's, eh, it's having problems. By the seventh year, most TV shows are really struggling, you know, and they are, as they say, jumping the shark. So when, from your point of view, how do you think, how would you like to see this evolve over the next nine years? And what are the kinds of things that you think might keep this interesting? And are, are there twists that you can anticipate or hope that will keep somebody who's paid for this or, you know, whatever, they've been buying expansion packs, whatever, for three to five years? What makes them want to stay with this after four or five years? Well, there's some precedent for this in the game industry. And I think one of the early precedents are games like Quake 3 Arena or Counter-Strike or whatever. Quake 3 Arena... There are mods. It's a PC and Mac game, so people can make mods for them. So that gives some extra life for the game where where just random developers who are not affiliated with the game in any way will make mods for the game, and that makes the game more interesting. But I would set that aside and just say there are some people, myself included, who played games like Quake 3 Arena, maybe not for 10 years, but for many, many years. And during that time, the game wasn't changing. Sometimes, uh, you know, I spent uh, basically an entire year of my life playing the same map every day during lunch at work. The same, just the same map with the same people, right? So the first thing I would say is that the longevity of games does not necessarily rely on keeping them fresh or having new content appear or stuff like that. Think about people who play poker, right? And they play, you know, five well, I mean, think card- about people. think about people who collect coupons. Like, you know, there's that... <laughs> well, no, there's that phrase that I think probably justly drives a lot of people crazy, the, you know, video gameification of things. But, like, to me, that has a certain kind of meaning. And for me, that could be something as simple as having a Fitbit makes me more aware of how much I move. And I'd like to meet, meet my, you know, daily step goal. I see if my sleep is bad or, or, or good, and I want to work on that. It makes me aware of what I can do to make this better. And then I like to see the trend line improve. I like to see my weight go down, if that's a thing that I'm working on. And I mean, yeah, I mean, I, the coupon thing sounds random, but like, think about the kinds of people who are into like extreme couponing, where it's more than just a way of going like, oh, I could save a little bit of money on Kraft macaroni and cheese. It's more like, no, like there's an entire immersive world out there about, did you read the article about the guy who flies free and has the the blog about it's the paper does that count yeah i remember it's a it was a super interesting article of of this i love any kind of a you know an article like that that takes me into a world i had no idea existed but it's essentially this guy who's this it's more than just like frequent flyer miles he's in the air like a huge amount of the time flying in these super premium services it's way beyond like i want enough miles to be able to fly to a wedding for free he's he's playing a game and like the more he plays it, the better he gets at it. And, you know, in some ways, I guess his exotic armor gets enchanted or something. He gets more and more stuff the more he does it. But like he never stops playing the game and says, well, I'm just going to coast for a while. 
like the extreme coupon people, for example, it's, it is a lifestyle. It's something where you're like, no, this is not something I do to save money. It's something I do because I want to get, get great at this couponing. And it has a satisfaction that I feel just in getting better at it. So it isn't like the story of this has to have some big giant twist. And, you know, you find out Snape's actually kind of a good, good guy, like whatever it is, but like, but at a certain point, so you're saying, you're saying that there's a precedent for a game being around for a lot of years without giant amounts of change and people yeah. being frustrated. They can't be a 65th level hunter yeah, or i'm kind of countering the gamification thing to say that gamification you're right is totally a thing that is very popular right now but that the 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 idea that you need gamification for games to have longevity is just not true I mean, people like you know i pick old people things old people who played bridge who've been playing bridge for 60 years bridge doesn't change it's the same freaking game right how can you be playing the same game for 60 years like it's just bridge right how can people play bridge or poker or chess for their entire life it is the same game. The rules of chess never change, right? That is very much akin to uh, sort of uh, all of us playing the same Mac map and Quake Three Arena for years. It's the same map every time. It's the same people you're playing with. How can that? How can that still be fun? Don't you need new content in the modern parlance to make it interesting? So the first thing to set that aside and say, actually, no, you don't. There are games if they are fun and if they are interesting enough. You're not playing them just for the game. You're playing from the people you play with in the game. They can be fun for an entire lifetime. And there are video games with tremendous longevity. So far, not 60 years because video games aren't that old. But games, usually multiplayer games, like bridge or chess or whatever, where you're playing with other humans and they're sort of evergreen and they have a lot of longevity. So set that aside. But what you're talking about is, all right, with that set aside, for a game that people are going to be playing for 10 years, if it's not the type of game, if you haven't just invented bridge or chess or whatever, and you know a lot of that is culture of like that's all they had, it's what they're used to, they're used to playing it with their little group of friends, they keep doing it. If you don't have that, and plus video games are always progressing, what is going to keep people playing? Uh, there's precedent for that too in games like World of Warcraft that have been around for more than a decade. They actually have subscriptions where the people have to pay a monthly fee to just be able to play the game, and they are faced with how do I keep these people playing the game? They're all going to hit maximum level pretty quickly. Um, once they're at maximum level, then it's going to take a while for them to get all the best items. Once they have all the items that they want, why do they keep playing the game? Some of it, you know, you know, if they keep going through the same raids, you know, they're at the end game thing. They get a group of seven people. They go on a big raid together. It's fun to do that raid. After you've done the same raid 17 times with your friends, why are you still playing the game? People do burn out on that. It's up to the game maker to produce, you know, there is again, new content. How, you know, an expansion pack new races new items that you can get new dungeons new raids uh and that says okay well i've got all the items i wanted from this thing but now this expansion came out and there's new items and new raids and maybe new classes of characters maybe i'll start a new character in this new class or maybe a new subclass for my thing or maybe you know and new challenges for people to and so yeah that that's that's the, the challenge part is what i'm asking i guess is that it looks like so much of what i found compelling in your description like i'm reading on the wikipedia page about the player versus environment player versus player but like it's it seems like what made you I, I hate to say addictive that's not exactly the word i mean but what made this so compelling for you was the um multiplicative nature that like the playing more gets you better stuff like does that because because does that become less important once you're like a level 35 guy because if that's what made you love the game in some ways isn't that what's going to keep you involved in like new twists and that kind of a a way to level up well it is you know all these games it is a skinner box of some things like that you know getting random rewards is more addictive than i'm playing exactly the same game of threes that i have always played i've never gotten any really better at it i I play it a lot i mean i I don't play a lot of games in a day but i play you know 15 games in a week i don't get any better at it 
but I still find it, I know it's a different thing, but I mean, like, I still find it equally enjoyable, even though there's not a plot twist. Yeah, that's more like the, you know, playing bridge or, you know, like a, a, a time, but it's, but it's single player, so it's kind of like a, you But, like, know, what uh, changes as you get better over 10 years? Like, what do you, uh, like... Right, right. So, for for the game, for a game like this, uh, setting aside the Skinner box aspects of it, which I think are slightly overblown... Um, <laughs> The, the reason, for me personally, I can just say for me personally, I know there are people who are coming to the game for different reasons, but for me personally, the reasons I never played World of Warcraft and never been into EverQuest or any of these other MMOs is because I just plain didn't like the gameplay part of it, like what people call the grind. What do you have to do for grinding? What you do for grinding in Destiny is run around in a first-person shooter and shoot people. And that is a genre of game that I have enjoyed before it was an MMO. What do you do in Quake Theory Arena? You run around people and you shoot them with your little guns sticking out of the thing. Like, I like that kind of game. And Unreal Tournament, where there's, you know, vehicles and objectives and stuff like that, I like that kind of game. If I did not like that kind of game, I would not play Destiny. No amount of gamification, Skinner boxes, rewarding, anything would help. Because the bottom line is I need to enjoy the actual act of playing the game. Um, and I like this type of game. Other people, may, they, they may have different value systems regarding it. It was like, I think World of Warcraft is much less kinetic combat. It's much less skill-based. It's much more much more strategic of like choosing. It's kind of like more like D&D. Choose which kind of attack you want to do. Choose which item you have equipped. Coordinate your things with other people. And less moment-to-moment hand-eye coordination type thing. So I like this type of game. So that's why I'm in there playing. That will not change. I'll always like a good first-person shooter. This is a really good first-person shooter. So even if, for me personally, even if they just keep continue to develop this game over 10 years, and, you know, Bungie makes really good first-person shooters. They made Marathon. They made Halo. They have, you know, they're good at making first-person shooters. This is a really fun one, and I, and I would like it and play it. Would I put as much time into it without the other aspects? Probably not. But for the other aspects of the game, it can start to feel like a hamster in a wheel where it's like, oh, I just got all the best items that I wanted to get and just got the best armor and I'm at maximum level and they're going to come up with another expansion then all of a sudden I'm not at maximum level and there's a bunch of new items and a bunch of new lore and a bunch of new things. If it starts to feel like work, which used to happen for a lot of people that would burn out on World of Warcraft where it felt like you were doing chores and you had the social obligation to right, show right. up for the seven-person raid one time a week so everyone can get their items and get their epic loot drops and all this other stuff. <laughs> if it starts to feel like a chore... I think that's the time to stop. And a lot of people have at various times burned out on World of Warcraft, taken a break for a year or two or three or four, and then come back to it when there was an expansion and then felt bad about coming back to it because they feel like there's a lot of this kind of like the food shame thing. There is a anti-pattern kind of, you know, uh, bad feedback cycle where you you find the game addicting, but you don't want to be putting that much time into the game, but you know the game will suck you in, so you delete it from your computer, but then you find yourself coming back. That is an unhealthy relationship with anything, whether it's games or drinking or watching TV or whatever it is you may have an addiction to. That can definitely happen with this type of game for people who are inclined to that. I tend not to have that problem because I, I, I just don't... I don't have, you know, again, I don't even have three characters. I'm not even doing like all the things you're supposed to be doing. I, I come to the game and have fun with it for short periods of time but i can tell you that when the expansions come out sometimes i feel a little bit of like look all my friends who are playing the game much more than i am like they're all going to be level 34 within the first 24 hours out of the game is out it's going to take me two weeks to get to level 34 but i'm okay with that i don't mind if it ever starts to feel like a hamster in the wheel and like i'm having trouble keeping up with stuff I'll take a break from the game. I'll come back to it there's a lot of people who like you know i got i came to the game itself late I didn't get to level 32 for a really, really long time. The whole time I was playing, everyone else in the game was level 32 because they'd already had the game for like half a year. I didn't. It was still fun. 
still fun to do this Plus, stuff. you've got your budget of, you know, gaming time, the way you talk about kind of planning out what games you can undertake given how long they're going to take yeah. and stuff like that. This is kind of blowing my budget a little bit because I think about it and it's like, this is the only game that I've played. Like, you know, it, I, what I'm thinking of is like, so the new Zelda game was delayed. Um, that's That was in my budget for this year, but it's not coming out this year. It's coming out next year. When the new Zelda games come out, I'm not going to be able to play Destiny for the whole time I'm playing the Zelda game. And will I be playing Zelda saying, oh, I really wish I was playing Destiny because there's something that I'm really interested in doing or whatever. Like, it, Destiny has consumed my life. My PlayStation 4 is basically just <laughs> a Destiny machine. Not, you know, it has consumed my entire gaming budget. It's consumed a lot of extra time. Like, I was in the middle of reading a couple of books that I'm still in the middle of reading because I'd rather play Destiny because it's it has grabbed me to that degree. And still, I play, like, one time a week. Like, maybe one weekend day and then maybe a few minutes like on on uh on weeknights that's it grab you know like i'm not i'm playing a very small amount of time but if you keep doing that over the course of a year it adds up to hundreds of hours believe it or not and like one that one five hour gaming session i didn't play destiny that entire week i played one night on that weekend and didn't play again until the next weekend and so i'm you know in terms of time commitment a casual in destiny but i like using my time strategically to achieve whatever goals I'm trying to achieve in the game, whether that's getting better at Crucible or leveling up a particular item or unlocking a particular thing or learning a new, you know, I I spent a long time in one particular subclass and I decided to try the other subclass. It's fun getting good at the different things and trying different uh, styles of gameplay or different weapons or getting good with a different class of weapon. Uh, Those are the things that I'm doing. And I, you know, truth be told, I wish, uh, you know, I wish a lot of the time that more people that I could, co- it was easier to coordinate with a bunch of adults who have jobs and lives and kids and who are in different time zones very often. It's difficult to like now, finally in my life, all the kids are in bed. There's not any television show I'm supposed to be watching with my wife tonight. We're not going out to a movie. I don't have any work things to do. The dishes are done. Everything's put away. I now have a, you know, one hour segment of time that I can dedicate to games. It's a Friday night. Where's everybody else? If they're not exactly at their point in their family lives, <laughs> then you're like, I wish I had five more people I could play with who, you know, five people that I know, people from my group of people, who, oh, they're not online or they're already online and they're already in a raid and you came in too late or whatever. Um, there's another reason I'm, you know, behind what other people are doing is because I just, I don't, I'm not willing to like say, look, every week at this time for these hours, we're going to, it's not, you know, you know, it's not a regularly scheduled thing. It's like right. whenever, whenever I can grab a moment, I do, but but yeah, that starts to use up a lot of my gaming budget because it's like, well, you know, uh, how much can my risk take? How much time do I have? And uh, yeah, I, it, but for a lot, but for a lot of people, that's a challenge they have with this type of game because it is addictive. It does have a lot of you know Skinner box type mechanics. It is a lot like gambling. Another thing people have described it as a space dress up because a lot of people get obsess- obsessed with what their characters look like. They're bling, and, yeah, and it doesn't actually have an effect, right? It does. Like, they, they don't have... What is I mean, it the called? different armors, the different armors obviously have different capabilities, but I mean, the the a lot of it is, it doesn't change that much about what your character can do based on how well, it looks. It, yeah, so here's the thing. I think in World of Warcraft, the call, it just shows that I don't know enough about MMOs. People listening will uh, yell at me when I get this wrong, but transmogrification, I think they call it in World of Warcraft, and I don't even know if that was invented in World of Warcraft. But anyway, the idea is that People want to control what they look like independently of what their items can do. Destiny does not have transmogrification. So if you have a particular uh, armor piece that lets you spawn with a grenade, 
which means every time you die and you come back to life, you immediately have one grenade available to you. Normally, the grenade is on a recharge cycle. Wow. So even if you just used a grenade, if you wear this piece of armor, when you die, when you come back to life, you will have one grenade at the ready, right? I use that piece of armor in Crucible all the time because I like using grenades. I use a sticky grenades, which if you stick them to someone's head, they will die immediately. Um, <laughs> that's one particular style of gameplay that I'm doing lately with my uh, Warlock and uh, Crucible Sunsinger subclass. Anyway, that particular armor looks a certain way. If you don't like how that armor looks, but you want that perk and you want to use that gameplay style, you don't have a choice. Transmogrification would let you say, I like this perk in this armor. I like And that, that would be leaning more toward the MMO part, where it's 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 more, right? I mean, it's that's less need for the practical stuff, and it's more preferences. Right, because then you're like, I, but I don't like what it looks like. I find this armor ugly. Then you have, you're forced to choose, well, this armor is ugly or it doesn't match my helmet or it doesn't match my gloves, but it has the perk that I want. So like you, right. you end up picking items. I want this helmet for this item and this, this uh, chest piece for this thing and these boots for this thing, but they don't match each other. And so they have shaders that try to unify your look and you can change the look of your overall outfit and everything. And the shaders are really cool and you can unlock more fancy shaders as you go on and everything. But sometimes you're just like, that helmet has horns on it and it's ugly, but it's the only 42 light helmet I have. So I have to wear it to hit level 34 and it annoys me. If in World of Warcraft, they had transmogrification, my understanding again, because I never actually played this game, which you could basically say, let me wear this item, but make it look like this other item. So you basically, oh. you are totally divorcing. To what use your word, it's, like. it's fashion. It, it, it's not. It's yeah. It's just a right because you do want to control your things. Look in Destiny, there is a lot of fashion stuff because you do want your stuff to look shiny and interesting. And I do spend a lot of time choosing the look for my character, which has changed over time. Which shaders I use, which outfits I use, um, because I do want to look nice. And I do. And sometimes it affects gameplay. You don't want to stand out too much on a map if you're playing against players. You don't want to maybe have a, a bright white thing in a dark map because you'll stand hmm. out more than a dark outfit. But uh, but that aspect of the game, other MMOs and RPGs have leaned on much more heavily than Destiny because in Destiny, practically speaking, uh, what you look like is determined by functionality because nobody, for the most part, is going to choose something they like that looks better uh, if some other item has a, a different perk that, that is uh, better suited to their gameplay style. Hmm. Wow. Kept the iceberg. Yeah, like, and I, I say all of this to try to explain what someone might get out of a game like this, not to convince anybody that they would want to play it. No, no, no. Because it is, it's, it's overwhelming for people who haven't played a game like this. And this particular game, because it's a first-person shooter, it has a fairly high skill barrier to enjoyment. If you can't play first-person shooters with the console, if you've never played them before and can't really orient yourself and it's just overwhelming, you will not enjoy this game because that's the whole game, man. Like, you're running around shooting things with a gun. If you don't like that or have never done it before and find it difficult, you will not enjoy this game. Uh, we got to go soon. Uh, last question. I think about this a lot. We've talked about the the screen thing with kids and how, um, in my case, like, you know, <laughs> it's like my daughter has never been happy when it's time to turn off the TV or, or turn off the Minecraft or turn off anything. Um, but she's a kid and like, you know, maybe she'll adapt. How do you feel when you're, done with your five hours of playing that game setting aside your your big scholars mission like generally speaking like how do you feel when it's one two three a.m and you're done are you are you invigorated are you are you tired are you like seeing patterns <laughs> like how what does it feel like when you're done playing a video game you really like most of the time i'm not going until two or three a.m most of the time i'm trying to get in bed by midnight try to keep it under control oh, i don't um, i don't believe that for a minute yeah that's true um but how i feel is kind of like 
it depends on how things went in the game. If you had a frustrating night where you and a bunch of people tried to accomplish something repeatedly and did not do it, and you're just like, well, got to go to bed. It's just the East Coast people are going to call it first because it's like, look, it's really late here. I got to go to bed. I got to go to work tomorrow or whatever you're doing. Then you feel kind of bad because you're like, we spent a long time doing something and didn't accomplish it. But usually in that situation, I don't end up in that situation a lot because most of the people I play with are much better than me, much more experienced than I am. Right. So they essentially are carrying me through it. So I don't have a lot of those bummer experiences. I know a lot of the people play with groups of similarly experienced people who are, you know, who are more like my level. And it's just kind of more like the blind leading the blind and they do fail repeatedly. So it makes me realize how lucky I am to play with people who are so much better at the game than I am that I don't have these frustrating experiences. But the few times that I have, like, for example, if I hadn't done that skill loss thing, if we played for five hours and we had not accomplished it, not achieved our goal, I would go back to bed thinking about kind of like in a similar way, you come home from work and think about some programming problem. I would be thinking about why didn't we succeed? Kind of like after a big loss in a sports event, what what should we have done differently? Right, should we right, be approaching right. this differently? Is there a skill or an item or a strategy that we're not employing? You know, what was the uh, malfunction? Uh, and because you can so easily record things on the PlayStation, maybe I go back and review the tapes next day. Really? You know, and say, wow. and, and, you know, where did things go wrong for us? But most of the time what I'm coming out of is a successful series of things. And you feel like you feel like you've just been on an adventure and accomplished something. You feel like you have... Uh, even if it's just like a group of six people just going through and playing crucible for a long time, you'll just, you know, think about the, the fun moments from the game. Like, you know, when everyone played Tetris, when Tetris first came out, I'm sure you did as well. Did you ever have the Tetris dreams? Yeah. I mean, everyone- I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I have friends who played way more and they have uniformly all had that. I've had that with, with various kinds of things where like, well, I have to say it is a screen thing where like if I've done a lot of a thing with a screen over and over and over again, like I will have dreams about that. But it sounds like with Tetris in particular, people would actually see, you know, it became like a punchline, but you would actually see doing lines in the, doing lines in their, in their dreams. Yeah. Not those kind of lines, but you know, hmm. making lines in All their right, dreams yeah. and thinking about how pieces will fit together. Like your brain will be working on Tetris while you're sleeping. Um, so every video game is like that, not just Tetris. Tetris is the one we all know because it was such a massively popular game. I ask you because I'm thinking about with my kid and, and like how her brain works. But it's also interesting because I'm, I'm trying to avoid getting into the whole like gambling and addiction thing, which I, I don't suffer from, but I find fascinating. Like I'm so glad I'm not into needle drugs and gambling. Like I have so many other problems, but I'm really grateful to not be having, not be having those, you know, two addictions. But like what's interesting about how you feel and I'm like, I've played some blackjack. Like I, I'm that horrible person who thinks he's better at it than he is, but like blackjack is doable. Like it's a system. You just play it, stick with the system. But you know, the funny part is that when you, you've had a big like win at blackjack or you <laughs> had a big break even like that doesn't have necessarily a giant impact on how you want to play or whether you want to play again, you might still want to play again, even though you won or obviously the, 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 I guess the corollary, you know, even if you had a big loss, that might be even more reason to want to go and play it again. So it seems like, like if you, if there's something about the gestures and thinking patterns and whatever it is, like, you know, whatever it is, those lanes that you kind of lock into with any kind of behavior, like it's, it's always interesting to me how, like, whether it went great or whether it went poorly or whether it went whatever, that doesn't always change how much you want to do it again like you might wake up sunday morning and go like i i'm really glad when i will have more time to try that again it's unless you're michael jordan unless you're one of those people who and i'm not talking about skill wise i'm talking about the the incredible competitive drive that is apparently eating this man alive in his retirement (laughs) anyway is that right 
and le- I, I've seen I've seen I, I and read not, some interesting some that. interesting That's... things about like you know the thing that made him great this amazing competitive drive when it's no longer has an outlet when he's no longer a professional basketball player it's it becomes a difficulty and in he must life. be like a border collie you ever had a border collie I've seen them I know I've, I've seen Shelties which are but similar. you know what they're like right yep, so yep. a border collie is like a, it's you know people like to talk about things like pit bulls or whatever you've never seen purity of what a breed does to a dog until you've met a border collie they're incredibly smart they're incredibly energetic and they can't stop hurting like, yeah, they'll herd chairs. Yeah. Well, they'll herd anything. And like, you know, I have I had a friend who had uh, a border collie as a kid, and it would grab him by his pants and pull him back into the yard. Not in a mean way, but like that's what a border collie does. That's its job. And it's interesting when you talk about somebody like Michael Jordan, or, or like I didn't say this earlier, but it makes me think about the uh, compulsive entrepreneurs. Like those people where you're like, dude, you've already made like... You know, hundred million, five billion. Yeah, that's like, how they make that money because they're always like, "Why didn't they stop after the first million? Like, but like, I, 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 I'm reluctant to call, you know, to name Donald Trump here, but like, uh, what's somebody better? I mean, anybody. Elon Musk like, is the good example. I, I guess so, but it's like there's something to it where like you couldn't just say you couldn't say it's about the money because it's not just about the money. They'll be fine. You couldn't really say that it's not about the money because the money still factors into it. The the money is like their exotic armor getting leveled up with them. There's something to this, like, you know, once you've made enough to any other person would go, I'll be set for the rest of my life. I want to put my kids through school, make sure everybody gets to retire. Like, you get that amount of money, and that does nothing to deter people who will not only keep working, but might actually still put a lot on the line, <laughs> like, to, to where they, they actually are being a little risky in their investments, because there is something about being back in that game that keeps pulling them back in. Yeah, and I brought up Michael Jordan as an example of that because I think most people don't have that kind of drive, or Elon Musk or whoever, just don't have that kind of drive. So uh, I find that when I come off of playing a game, it's very similar to when I come off of, like when I was playing tennis in school, come off of a tennis match. Like, I'm excited to have done that thing, and uh, I'm happy about it, and it may, you know maybe I'll have dreams about this this type of stuff. And like it's like playing a sport for most people, not Michael Jordan. Because playing a sport for Michael Jordan was like there was a goal you had to accomplish it. If you didn't, you were driven to do it. Everyone else is like they play the sport, they enjoy playing it, it's fun, and you go to sleep and you're happy. You know you just right. had a good pickup basketball game with your friends. You just played softball with your buddies. You just went out in volleyball. You just played pool. Like whatever it is you're doing, it's like a sport where you're doing something with your body and your mind with other people that you find enjoying uh, enjoyable and when you're done it's not like i'm being torn away from tv obviously because i'm an adult and i'm deciding when to do it myself i'm not <laughs> i don't find myself being frustrated or even if i didn't do well or whatever and thinking about how i can do better it's like a pastime for me i'm not consumed michael jordan style by it and, and for the gambling thing destiny is i think very different uh from those free-to-play games in that all the sort of skinner box mechanics that are in there are not in there to extract money from you. I just refuse to play any of those games. Or I know a lot of people who sort of hate playing right. those but, type but wasn't of games. That, right? I mean, like, actually, that was one thing I wanted to ask you about. Um, we should go soon. But, like, uh, wasn't a, I, I was interested to see that there was a, a fair amount of, like, you know, fairly mixed criticism, uh, uh, mixed, you know, uh, reviews about the game when it came out and over time. And it sounded like people were kind of critical about that aspect of the game, that they felt like there was something maybe not Candy Crush, but there was something about the game where like it was it was sort of addictive in a way that wasn't improving the gameplay. Like what was the, what was the thought yeah, for most people? A couple of reasons for the, the bad reviews. One is that uh, this game was massively hyped. It was a big game from the creators, from the creators of Halo. Like that's how why everyone knows the budget. So 
that's one strike against it because anything is that massively hyped there's going to be some backlash two it was an mmo game but it was a first person mmo so it's trying to appeal to people who liked halo or liked you know other first person shooter type games those people may not necessarily be the same people who are into mmos so this may be their first encounter with an mmo like it is my first real encounter with an mmo because previously they'd stayed away from them because they weren't appealing and a lot of these mechanics are common to mmos and if this is the first time you're seeing them you're like uh I, I don't like these aspects of the game. I don't expect this type of, you know, this type of uh, gameplay mechanic. It feels kind of scummy to me. Uh, it's not like Destiny invented it or does it any worse than any other game, really. It's just that these people may be new. And the third thing is the people who like first-person shooter type games and are used to playing all the other ones have certain expectations of what, for example, the, what the story portion of the game is going to be like. Is it going to be like Call of Duty where it's cinematic and, you know, it's got all these big-name voice actors and, and all this great dramatic plot or is like The Last of Us or whatever? Destiny's story mode is pretty thin on the ground when you compare it to, like... Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, it is. There's not a lot of uh, missions to go through. The story, such as it is, is fairly incoherent uh, and not a lot of it is not in the game you have to go elsewhere to read about it and if you come in looking for that you're like so this is it there's just these story missions and then these like this one raid and then a bunch of multiplayer things this doesn't seem like doesn't seem like enough content executed well enough to justify also, the like, in the face of the hype machine there was not something that felt like a, a giant leap forward in development it, right and it, and honestly it wasn't like the single player game or the story mode of destiny is not as good as the story mode and many many other uh popular first person shooter titles it's just not okay. right like there was a lot of promise there and they did not fulfill it so the backlash was like there's backlash because it was overhyped this aspect of the game actually isn't that that good uh and you know so they got middle of the road reviews and especially since this is before any expansions were released the systems that they had then and the the resource economy was mm-hmm. totally different because they hadn't tuned it so like the mediocre to bad reviews were basically deserved but this is the thing to know about this game. It is like a living organism here. It is constantly changing. They're constantly, even between expansions, changing the rules of the game, changing the economy of the game, and the core mechanic of, like, is it fun to run around and shoot people? Bungie's making good at making games where it's fun to run around and shoot people. How does it feel to do the running and shooting mechanic of the game? That core mechanic was always good. I think the overall structure of the lore is good, even if the execution of the particular story wasn't good. And... I mean, this is another error they made in the game. They're planning out a 10-year... They got a 10-year game plan. This is move number one, right? Right, Move number one had to be good enough not to make them go out of business, but they're not going to show all their cards. They're going to screw something up. And so I think all the mediocre reviews were totally deserved, but like the the second-level story behind this game was like, everyone complains about Destiny. Why is everybody still playing it? And that, that, you know, over the (laughs) course of the course year, oh, so this got, you know, 6 out of 10, 5 out of 10 in the reviews. Why the heck is everybody still playing this game? Because there really was something there. A lot of people have come back to it and said, you know what? Uh, it was crappier then. It's better now. There's been two expansions. There's more content. If you don't like MMOs, you're still not going to like it. Uh, I'm not saying that people should go back and revise their reviews or even that it shouldn't be a better reviewed game now. But like, there's a lot of people playing this game. It made all of its money back in, I think, the first month that it was out for sale. So they're doing fine money-wise. I think it is a really great game. Was it really great on day one? Absolutely not. Are there bad aspects of the game? Certainly. But, you know, it it got its claws into me. I avoided it for the same reason. Oh, 6 out of 10. I guess this is overhyped. It's not that great. I don't like MMOs anyway. I avoided it for months and months before I figured, well, I got a PlayStation. Destiny's out. I'll download the demo and try it. 
the second I started playing that demo, I just ran through the demo real quickly, immediately bought the game, bought every <laughs> expansion. Like, I think it is a it is a great game right now if you like that type of game. It is not unequivocally great, but almost no game is. I think Journey is unequivocally great. Some people play Journey and get nothing out of it. Same thing with any type of game. For this type of game, you know, first-person MMO, I think it is the people behind the game are good at balancing the game to be fun for everybody they're not trying to extract money from you there's no monthly fee they just want to sell you a 30 dollars expansion every six months to a year i will gladly give them the money for the entertainment yeah like what what is it going to take before we get to that roger ebert level of people saying well you know did it succeed at the thing that it was trying to do because the the whole idea it's almost like I, i hear you i hear other people like catching themselves or or cringing like when people say you know um genre when they mean medium you know like is is anime a a genre or a medium you know or like in this case like video games it seems so diverse and different and rich enough of an environment at this point that like having a site that just reviews video games on just this this kind of this one axis seems kind of bananas well but see the thing is but the video game sort of community who's reading who's obsessively reading sites that have reviews people who like video games right like who reads reviews of every movie that comes out real film buffs most of the time you're like maybe i'm interested in the new mission impossible maybe i'll check some reviews see like whatever but who reads the review of every single movie that comes out every weekend right film buffs people who really like movies right so the bread and butter of magazines about video games, websites about video games, are people like me who just, I read reviews of every single game. I've, I've read reviews of so many games and played so few of them, right? But I read the reviews because I'm into video games. And that gives you sort of a literacy in the genre. And if you have that literacy and you consider yourself a gamer, you have certain expectations tied to genre. Well, a Mission Impossible movie should be like this. And a Pink Panther movie should be like that. And this okay, one doesn't yeah. tick all my boxes. And so on. So the people who are reviewing Destiny and complaining about it uh, have certain expectations. And their expectations aren't wrong. Like, they are the experts in the genre. They are the, the people in the trenches who are, you know dedicated fans of this type of game a film noir should be like this this is not a good film noir this is a a a pale shadow of what it should be it fails to accomplish its goal it doesn't recapture the magic of the maltese falcon or you know what i mean like yeah yeah yeah. the aficionados and the buffs know what they want and if they don't get it they will tell you why um but that doesn't tell you much about whether someone else might find this game enjoyable who is a more casual player who has never played like me never played an mmo before a lot of the things that i'm doing in destiny i'm doing for the very first time anyone who's played evergrest or world of warcraft it's old hat to them and then they can critique how well does destiny do it compared to how well does world of warcraft do it how well does skyrim do it and so on and so forth but if it's the first mmo you played you don't have that lens you don't know that oh actually this this example of film noir was so much better than the one you're watching now maybe you're just fascinated because this is the first time you've seen film noir and it's really got its hooks into you so it's a lot like any other kind of art form where the information and background you have and what you've experienced before what other movies you've seen what other music you listen to if you've played music if you know anything about music theory or whatever that all comes into how you read a review that someone else wrote or how you write the review and in general people who are writing their reviews are usually sort of the subject matter experts who have played every type of game that has been remotely like this and they're critiquing it in a context that many people may not have so that that's why something can get mediocre reviews like a movie or a game and be played by purchased by or seen by in the case of movies millions of people and be a box office smash you made a good case. It's uh, it's not anything I'm going to do like this week, but I, I, but I feel like I've got some appreciation of the genre. I mean, you know, it's like explaining uh, art 
to somebody. You know what I mean? Like, even if you explain it impeccably, it's still not the same as going and looking at the painting. Yeah, or like explaining sailing. Like, people know what sailing is. You go on a boat, there's wind, there's a thing that catches the wind, makes the boat go. But mm-hmm. you don't know what it's like to sail unless you have sailed. And what do people enjoy about sailing? They can describe to you what they enjoy about sailing. Leveling up. You won't, you won't understand until you learn to sail and get your sailboat and go out on the water at sunset and start sailing around. Then you'll be like, oh, this is, what, this is what they've been telling me about, but I don't quite get it. Like, that's why I always compare gaming to a thing that you do. Like, not even, like, I read this book and it's great, you should read it too. I always compare it to an activity, playing sports, sailing, playing the game. Um, video games, I think, come in because... Uh, uh, the reason I talk about them so much is because to so many people, it seems like there's no value. It seems like it's television is just rotting your brain or whatever. Uh, maybe people don't understand what's good about selling, but they can understand, hey, that guy really likes selling. That must be a fun thing to do. Where you tell them and you're into video games, they're like, you might as well have just told them that you're, you know, uh, you know, into watching TV or even movie buffs get this a little bit. It's like, well, whatever. It's some passive thing that you just kind of sit there. Like, I feel like video games are given a bad rap by people who don't understand them because they don't, they have no... No way to understand what people are getting out of the games. Uh, and they're not willing to believe that they they could be getting something out of it that has value and meaning to them. So is um is Halo the one with Master Chef? That's the one. Okay. 